Hello and welcome to JBL Radio, a special Colluders After Dark edition. I am Michael Miller, otherwise known as RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me, as always, in the red, blue, green corner, it doesn't matter because the commission is colorblind, it is Andrew Taylor, also known as the General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets and also known as Bedouin. Good afternoon, Andrew. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you for having me. Um, fabulous start with a great red-green colorblind joke. And also, if it's an after-dark edition, does that mean more dick jokes than usual? Oh, absolutely. Because I, I can go into this. I can go back into the spreadsheet and insert a few more throughout the runtime if we if we really need to hit like a certain mark. We've got uh, we've got our contract terms for our dick jokes. So we've got our MLE. We've got our supermax. So it's going to be a good time. We're going to put them all through this podcast, all throughout. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. So what is, what's the agenda for today, Mike? Well, it is a chock-full episode. Uh, we are going to try to cover the free agency review because free agency, even though we're on stage 16, is pretty much over. Everyone has 12 players on their roster. And then we're going to really start the 2028 preview chatter, which if you remember from last season, it really breaks down into a couple of topics. We have our league pass rankings, which uh, basically cover the most interesting teams going into the 2028 season. And then we have some prop bets slash over-unders where uh, Andrew, who is kind enough to do the uh, prep work for this, uh, so 90% of the compliments and the blame could go to Andrew. He went through and basically we went through, he went through every team and basically made an over-under bet on a player or a team that kind of is a nice way to set the stage for our mega preview pod that will likely happen next week. Or this Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, in, in about 36 hours from now. <laughs> 36 <laughs> hours from now. <laughs> um, but yes, so we are starting with the free agency review. And this is the part of the podcast which I have acidly prepped. So what um, I decided to do is I went through and I have about five or six major headlines that I kind of summarize my thoughts about free agency I'll pass it over to Andrew, get his thoughts, and then I'll kind of give my thoughts as well. So question number one about 2028 free agency. Andrew, is this the most boring free agency period since the expansion era? Um, for everyone who is not named Bedouin, probably. I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so elaborate on that a little bit um, in terms of why was it, it it's so boring, basically. Look, I think you, what what you had is you had a situation where there was a probably a, a dearth of top-line talent in the draft. Um, you generally had um, the top-line talent that was available, per se, available, in air quotes, was largely... Um, was largely geared towards the competitive teams. So as an example, like if I go down and look at you know, guys who sign big money contracts, Griffin, Galloway, Mick Swine, Owen, oh, Sylvester, Sylvester, Barry. Barry um, Barry's yeah. probably a standout. Um, Tucker, Slay, Benjamin, Jamal Johnson. These are all guys, guys really good teams. So they weren't going anywhere as long as the team paid a respectable salary to them. Right. 
Well, and as a caveat to this, um, let me ask you this. So there's basically five teams, and there's probably more than that, but there's five teams that really stuck out that really did run it all back. The Fireballs um, with resigning Derek Griffin and um, resigning their front court. You had the Philadelphia Warriors who brought back Jermaine Curry uh, and brought back a Hall. You have the Nashville Stars who had a bunch of restricted free agents, including Colton Gregory, brought all of them back. The Portland Jacks, who renounced Deontay Christian. We talked about that on the draft podcast and then basically resigned him for the MLE, as well as brought back Porky and Peeler. And the Blizzards, who brought back Slay and Galloway, despite some rumblings that they may blow it up. Should Did any of those teams make the wrong decision? Could any of those teams have been more aggressive in basically changing course from where they're presently at and what they decided to do in free agency? Um. I don't think the time to change course was in free agency, right? Like I think that um, if we want to talk about the, the lumberjacks, I don't think, I think they made the right choice to bring everyone back. Um, obviously um, I engaged in some shenanigans with Peeler that probably made that process a little bit more challenging and drawn out than it could have been. If I'm, yeah, I think could have been is the right way to say it. Um, but I think it was the right choice for bringing everyone back and that, you know, having peel around that extra couple of years will allow the team to transition Mac into a larger role. I think it made sense for the Warriors because I think Curry again is a nice, is a nice um, transitional piece that will assist in the transition to Collier and KB moving forward. Plus they're in the window whilst they have back. I'm going to disconnect my microphone for two seconds. Mike, give me a sec. Sure. Well, and, and let me add this while you're kind of re- refixing your microphone. We talked about this, I believe, on the free agency preview pod or the draft pod, but I had basically thought that there needed to be a bit of a correction year just because the last couple of off seasons we've had teams really blow it up, really drastically change. Big players change teams like Kelvin Hawes, like uh, Weaver, and um, like really all-star type players move around. This is the first year, I think, really since expansion, we didn't have that. And I think that that's a, there's, there's just a natural, everyone's kind of content where they're at, at least at this point, either for good reasons or bad reasons. And I think it's also just the natural reverberation when you have so much change that you're going to have a, an offseason, but there's just not a lot of change across the, across the board. I also think that, you know, the teams that didn't have their own people to sign, there was no money. So there was never going to be a chance for people to, like, you, you were never going to end up with a situation um, this off season where you could have, say, a player who was like someone like Jermaine Curry, right? Like there wasn't an up and coming team with a hole at shooting guard that had the money to go and try and lure him away. There, there, there was there is a very established upper class which is fairly flat this year, which means that I think more teams probably think they have a chance and therefore will try and hold it together. And the rest of the league is kind of just going about their business building. And the teams that are maybe have a flawed construction at this point, I don't think they have necessarily enough evidence yet to say, oh shit, this construction is flawed. We need to blow it up halfway and start again. So I just think it's just a, a natural set of circumstances. And I think that with the money thrown around the last couple of free agencies, I think this season and probably next free agency as well, but probably to a slightly lesser degree, you're, you're going to start to see some, you know, some financial corrections of the market in terms of what a mid-tier player makes. 
and what a lower tier player makes to balance out the salary cap where everyone is abusing it. So speaking of mid-tier corrections and uh, mid-tier correction and uh, financial restraint, Brandon Terry got $18 million from the Kansas City Knights, uh, who also signed Josh Damascus to an $18 million deal. And they're probably one of the few teams with uh, cap room that really threw it around and threw it while you and, and Phoenix kind of threw it around. You threw it around to players who eventually got matched or you figure would get matched and you're still in a pretty healthy balance sheet. Uh, Kansas City spent their money. What are your thoughts basically on what they did uh, as far as getting Brandon Terry and, and Damasca? Okay, well, the first thing is, like, both of those are overpays, right? Um, I think you can tell Damascus is an overpay because Rich basically wanted no fucking part of it. Um, and I think for a player who is, you know, until proven otherwise, is a one-way guy. He's a defensive one-way guy, but he's still a one-way player to a degree. Um, he can shoot the three ball, but uh, I, I think he's offensively limited. Um, and then, obviously, Terry, who used to be good but hasn't been good. Um, but he wanted a backup point guard to play behind Fontana in Fontana's rookie year. Um, and I don't think either of those signings make no sense. I just think the money involved is too high. But having said that, um, RJJ won't need to be paid until these contracts expire. Dillinger won't need to be paid until these contracts expire. Fontana will be a year further removed. It just it, There is no downside apart from opportunity cost. The only problem for the Knights with these contracts is potentially it might stop them from getting in on something next year. Right. And I look at that, especially with the Brandon Terry deal, because I do understand it from Comey's perspective. I know last year he went really hard on Reggie Fortier and gave a similar type of contract because he wanted that type of veteran mentor and Fortier wouldn't give him the time of day. And I think that's part of the reason why he went really hard after Terry. But looking at it, especially because unlike 40A, where um, I still, I didn't renounce him, I still had tenure rights over him, Denver renounced Terry, and there just didn't seem to be that much of a market for him. I find it hard to believe that any other team looking at cap room would have put more than 10 million, 12 million on Terry. So like you said, I think there is a lost opportunity cost, especially with that. Damasca, I'm not as concerned about because it's 18 million, uh, right? Or is it 18 or 20 million? Uh, well, no, it's, anyway. it's, it's, it's 18 for, okay. and, he's a three, and he's a three and D wing, which is a valuable commodity. It's clearly not as egregious as the, as the, um, as the Terry one. Yeah. I mean, to me, like 15 million on Damasca, you wouldn't feel guilty about it all. It's also a short contract and uh, Comey's done a good job basically with these assets of using his cap room, rehabilitating value and flipping them for getting, getting pretty good price. Like the white side deal. I think you and I ripped apart pretty well after free agency last year, lo and behold, he got a pretty good deal from the Jaguars on that. So, um, although I don't know if the Jaguars are going to keep bailing Comey out, but, um, maybe they will, who knows? Maybe, uh, but I, I think that's, I think that's part of the opportunity cost, um, equation though, is does Comey have money now to take on those shitty contracts and then try and flip them? I don't think he does to the same degree he used to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the problem, especially with the Terry contract. Cause I think that Terry contract based on the lack of market interest for Brandon Terry, when he was on a pretty similar contract for Denver, when they were shopping him, um, is pretty telling that I, I just, uh, 
the Denver one. He was on twenty. He was on twenty-eight. He was on twenty-eight million or twenty-four million then. So it was it was worse than it is now. But yeah, I just think there were. I think Terry is also independent of the Knights part. Is indicative of a few of the deals that took place early in free agency, where players signed their deals early when there may not have been enough market pressure. So, for instance. Um, Donnell Wallace to the Renegades for $12 million isn't actually a bad deal yep. financially, but I'm not convinced he couldn't have been cheaper. Well, and that's a nice segue. Um, Devontae Hale as well is another example. I could keep going on, but there's a few deals like that that were done early in free agency where I think if the team had played hardball a little, they could have saved themselves, you know, let's say conservatively 30% of the price they paid. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so that's a nice segue to talk about the New York Renegades. And when I call them the Renegades, I'm not making a homosexual slur joke. There's a really, there's a, there's a, a lesson in there. Why do you think I'm calling them the Renegades? Tell me. Because they don't have any D. Yuck, 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 yuck. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to let you have a setup. I'm just not going to play along. <laughs> oh, that's not um, nice. Come on. Um, so so okay, why do the, why more about the Renegades? Why do the New York Renegades have no more D, Andrew? Um, um, they don't have any more D because they got rid of Damascus at small forward, which is the second such move if you also include the move that moved Dozier on from power forward. Um, they have largely punted two above-average defensive players in a row out, um, and the players that they, so have, they brought have brought in to replace, to replace them. them. I'm getting some good double speed. Um, uh, you've got Fox and you've got Wallace, neither of whom is a particularly strong defensive player. So you have a situation now where the Renegades spent most of last season looking for a competent third scoring option to play alongside um, Harrell and Slattery. Uh, and now they potentially have four uh, offensive uh, players. Uh, scoring options, but they have a lot less defense. This is a team that if they win games, are going to have to do it by outscoring the other team. So is this Renegades team better or worse than last season? I think it has a higher ceiling than the old version. I'm not convinced it won't take one step backwards to take two steps forward. And then the question is whether they'll be able to take two steps forward because Slattery's contract is up this year. And um, yep. Harold still... Has one more year, but I think it's a player option. <coughs> Look, so. I mean, let's just let's let's just assume for the sake of it that those guys will resign. The re the track record is that those guys resign. By and large, if you're in the playoffs, generally speaking, these players resign. I think the question mark for the question mark for the Renegades in terms of the next year or two is Wallace will still be an excellent um, floor spacer and three point shooter, and I think he will be till the minute he carks over and dies. Right. Um, the question is, can Fox's development outpace Wallace's decline over the next two to three years? Yeah, and um, we have not really seen a ton of development from Fox uh, over that period of time. That's um, a little well. Well, I, I, I mean, we, we, just, we just really haven't. Um, I mean, I'm pulling up his player card now just to kind of he jump from like nine points last the year before to 15 14.8 point it was 14.8 because i know because i checked it the other yesterday when i was doing the over-unders but like he's he jumped to 14.8 points last year on a pretty 
average Scorpion squad. Um, if he can convince Harold to, you know, like share the ball, um, I think he's in a good position to potentially surpass that because he's probably going to have a, he'll probably have a decent training camp. He's earlier that he should see in his career that he should see some gains. Um, and then also like, you know, who, who the hell were the Scorpions playing at point guard for most of last year? Like, you know, the, they were playing the graveyard. So, you know, I'd rather play in the backcourt alongside Harold, who's going to get some genuine defensive attention versus, you know, whatever scrap uh, the Scorpions were throwing out there, whether it was St. John or someone else. Yeah, what, what is interesting is that Fox's shooting percentage closer to the rim improved, but his three-point percentage declined significantly. His rookie year, he shot 37.7%, which is really good for a rookie. That went down to 35.8% his, his second year and 32.3% last year before the trade. So yeah, I think sorry. trending in the wrong direction, but go ahead. I, I, think, I think, yes, that's trending in the wrong direction, but I think the Scorpions in his career have trended in the wrong direction. And I think three-point shooting is so much a byproduct of floor spacing that you, it's, it's really hard to gauge in a vacuum. Like I know that when I look at a player's three-point shooting, I generally, I, I generally try and make some kind of mental adjustment. I don't have a fucking formula or anything, but like I do try to make a mental adjustment for um, – you know, what is driving that shooting? You know, for instance, you know, an example that's applicable to you, Mike, is that Morgan shot a lot better from three for me than he did for you last year. And I'd argue that on my team, he had, he was being spaced by Goodwin and Souda and Kelly and Ivory. And on your team, he was being spaced by Greeley. That's a shot. <laughs> no, but to suggest that's not a, a it, but, to, but to suggest that's not a factor or another example, Sanford last year when Hunter was there shot dramatically worse from three, like by a, a large fucking margin. And my attitude is almost certainly that was a spacing issue. Yeah. The truth, the truth will lie in the middle, of course, but that spacing is a factor and I, I just, I'm not willing to gauge a three po- a player's three point shooting when they are on a fucking shit team. And I think that effect is magnified the shorter the player is. That is very true. And that's why I don't like short players anymore. So um, <laughs> you could just, you could just go the opposite direction and a, cor- a course correct by um, compensating in spacing, Mike, but sure. You can just discriminate against a large percentage what? of the league. Instead. I'm just, I'm just going to get daily on slay and he'll fix my spacing. <laughs> He's tall enough. He can figure it out. All right. Have we covered the Rens? Oh, we've covered the Rens. So the next next segment I have is called RFA Chicken. And my question for you is Colton Gregory, Spencer Allen, and Terrell Sanford. Those are all three players that the market dictated what their value is. And they all signed contracts with different teams, and their incumbent teams matched. Um, some of you may remember what happened in Cincinnati with uh, Mr. Jamarcus Thibule, who uh, Andrew did a very similar situation. No, uh, it wasn't he, me. That was a, that was um, that was Eon, I think, who did oh. who did Thibule. I did Prince. Prince is on me. Don't don't put any extra blood on my hands. There's plenty there already. Well, with Andrew, I was speaking about the Kings owner Andrew. That 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 Andrew okay. did a similar thing and let the market yeah. kind of dictate that value. And that created a status-related issue. He was not happy, and Andrew did resolve that issue before he mercilessly traded Thibuel for Haas to get his championship ring and banner. Um, but nevertheless, my question for you is, do we have a sense that any of these other similar RFA signings may create a similar issue with the teams who just match them up? 
Uh, no, I don't think they will. And the reason is pretty simple. Um, when you head into free agency, each player has a tag as to what they're doing in the market, restricted or otherwise. <coughs> Big pub. So either a player will be listed as they're looking to re-sign, they might be testing the market, or they might be leaving. leaving. Um, and, then, and, and then secondary to that, there is also a... a a listing of how interested the player is in a given team. And I think the situations that are dangerous for um, morale, from a morale perspective, if you, if you match the player, are situations where the player says, I want to leave and I have signed with a team that I have high interest in. In, the, in my situation, given that most of the players you've mentioned in this free agency are players that I was the one who was playing stalking horse, um, I was the market <laughs> setting the price, for the lack of a better term. Um, none of those players had any significant interest in me. They only wanted me for my money. Um, and the second part of it was none of those players were looking to leave their current situation. At worst, they were testing the market to determine their value. So I don't see there being any negative carry-on effects for any of the teams that have done in matching this offseason. I think that's fair, and I think that that's the difference in that situation between that one and the Thibiel situation, but I just kind of wanted to mention it and kind of get your thoughts on it. Yeah, so, I, think, I think for future references, if you have a situation where you have a player who wants out, and I think you'll have a much better sense of that moving forward with the new locker room stuff and morale stuff and co- cohesion stuff that Commission wants to put in, um, you really should be thinking long and hard about matching someone who is keen to get the fuck out of there because that is a problem that you will have to manage subsequently. And as much shit as we gave Andrew at the time, he did a very good job of managing that situation and resolving it over the following two seasons before he punted Thibault. Man, those new locker rooms are going to be so shiny. The showers are going to be crystal clean, really spacious locker rooms. It's going to be a two-way mirror so you can leer at uh, Lane. from. <laughs> we'll we'll play, players will have feelings again. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, it'll be great. You know, everyone, will, everyone, everyone is probably looking forward to it really optimistically going, this is going to be fantastic and, and until wait until the first negative shit happens I, and then someone's going I, to be happy. I, I was just going to say the 2027 season will go down as the season of happiness. So cause <laughs> ev- everyone in GBL was happy. There was no strife anywhere in the world. <laughs> I think it it's very easy to, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like um, Stockholm syndrome. Everyone just kind of accepted their fate last year. We, we all knew the Kings were going to win and we just said that we're not going to get angry with each other. We're just going to sit back and get our seats for the parade. <laughs> okay. Next one. All right. So, there were two veteran signings on relatively young teams that stuck out to me as pretty good deals. These are not Minsal. Uh, they're basically in the MLE territory or a little bit less. Kendall Nash on the Seattle Thunder and Lucas Rush on the Philadelphia Warriors. Kind of wanted your thoughts on those. Yeah, look, I think they're probably the two best. Um, I think the biggest hole in the lineup for um, the Warriors was clearly that backup small forward position. Um, so I think Rush is a no-brainer there. Um, and I also think that that's potentially a good veteran mentory type, potentially, for KB, um, who probably has some personality traits you probably want to de-emphasize. Um, and in terms of Curry, I think that, I think I, I said this a couple of times on podcasts last year, I didn't particularly like uh, Butler Jr. playing time at shooting guard. 
Um, and even during the um, even during the championship runs um, that the Thunder made in both iterations, when they won and then the Souda, the Snake Souda version that followed immediately after, backup shooting guard was always their one hole, always. Um, and I like the fact that they have filled that hole. I like I like Nash a lot, and I think Nash is a player who would have been an all star if he'd only been two inches taller. Yeah, and I, I think he's a great fit on that Seattle <laughs> team off the bench. So, because that's like you had said, that's something that they really needed. Um, the, kind the, of team can play, the team can the team has a the team now has a high usage shooting guard who can come in and basically play the peeler role. Sorry, not the peeler role, the Fifer role when Fife is not on the court. They don't have to change the way they play dramatically. Yep. Yeah. That was a really smart and savvy signing, and as was Rush on the Warriors. So just to give him another, another veteran. So although I did, I thought that part of the fun of you having cap room was to prevent this stuff from happening, and it, I guess you just didn't have that much cap to prevent it all from happening. I thought long term fucking over the Lightning and Kyle was a more productive use of my time. <laughs> Speaking of the Lightning. Um, so I'm trying not to be too critical here, but if I'm putting my objective glasses on, I really, I, deal. Deal. I, I really do think the worst contract given out in free agency <coughs> here is a San Bundu at 11.25 million. Um, it um, is, it is, but I don't think you like, I, I, like, yes, yes. I have it number one on my list of bad deals, but at the same time, as I said a, a little bit earlier in the podcast and I kind of let you move it on cause I knew you were going to come back to it. I would also argue that the deals for guys like Grant Hayes, Devontae Hale, Ray Washington, um, Bundu's in that group as well. There's a whole bunch of those um, deals that are kind of in that 10 to $13 million range that happened really early in free agency um, where the team hurt themselves. Yep. Yeah, I think it's um, and I think and I think Bundu is the easiest to point to because of two things. One, he has been a player who has been hated on a lot during his career, so he's more of a a, a lightning rod. <laughs> I get it. He's more of a lightning rod for that kind of criticism than some of those other players. <laughs> but I think the second part of it as well is the lightning of the team that's going to be at risk of the hard cap. Ding ding so ding. So it will hurt. It will right. hurt them. It will hurt them much more. And look. And that's why I put that's why I put the, that's why I put the bigger offer on Allen. I wanted to push him into genuine fear of the hard cap territory, um, and that was what was achieved. Yeah. So uh, just to keep in mind the, the lightning salary cap picture for next year, right now they're at one twelve point four. Um, Weaver is at twenty four million, but he's a free agent next year, and he's very much in line to be probably the first super max eligible player. Which would be thirty-two million per year, which means this a mess, this a mess, yeah. And what's exactly, that which mean right there, they're at one twenty, and Boom. and uh, they're making some hard decisions. <laughs> if Weaver really wants that supermax, uh, Demar Carroll's contract also expires this year, so he likely gone uh, unless he. That's that's really the saving grace. The, the 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 Carroll thing will give them a little bit of room to move, but it will hurt their depth because I don't think they'll have the mechanism by which to easily replace that production. Yeah, so the, the bottom line is the Lightning could be in trouble if it doesn't work out for him this year. So, um, and that and part of that is because they gave so much to Boondoo up front, which if they waited out of the market, 
I really can't see anyone putting more than six, seven, eight million dollars on. I, I thought I thought a good, I thought a good number for Bundu was the MLE amount, about six. Right, five, six, five, six, five, six, five, six was kind of what I thought his market value would end up being because he he did actually play much better last year when he got to um, the Lightning. Um, five to six, I felt was probably about right um, yep. in this market, and yep. um, I think the Lightning would love to have that five six million back. Yep. So now we get to the last segment on our free agency review, and it's my favorite segment because it's Minsal Bukaki time. It's our time to talk about does what. That count as a dick, does that count as a dick joke? That definitely counts as a big as a dick joke. Are you kidding me? So, well, it's dick isn't it like kind of more like dick joke adjacent? It counts like a lot of dick jokes in my mind. But it's, like I mean, a, need, but it's adjacent. I mean, it's not the actual dick. No, but you need a lot of dicks for Bukaki. I mean, you can't have Bukaki with one dick. I mean, that's just. Oh, I'm, 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 aware, I'm aware of that, but like Bukaki is a byproduct of what comes from the dick. So therefore, it's dick adjacent more than dick. I, I think it's related. I think it falls in the dick joke category. We don't have. Do we have to create a category for cum jokes? Is that what next? Well, it, it might be. It might be. But all, all, although, does that fall into the vasectomy category? Mm, see, now we're getting very close to endangering our spot on Spotify. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there like a really famous podcast called Cumtown? Surely we this, can't beat that. This is now the vast deference corner. <laughs> Uh, all right, so <laughs> Mincel Bukaki. So I had asked you to pick three Mincel contracts that you thought were either the best or interesting, um, and I did the same. And the three I picked, and I, I would bet we're probably going to match on one. Um, the three I really liked were two from the Austin Rockets, uh, Reggie Burke and Shandon James, and I think the easy Mincel winner is a Tyree Chapel to the Cincinnati Kings. Okay. Um, I, one of the ones, uh, I, 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 I thought, I, I, but, sorry, sorry, Burke made my shortlist. Um, I don't think James did because I think he's a walking, talking corpse at this point. Um, so that's one. Um, Chapel obviously was the number one, the clear winner. Uh, he is an excellent player. I have loved him since 2017. Um, I think he has gone underrated his entire career. So I'm, I'm all in. I think he will be really valuable for the Kings um, and will be quite essential to their attempts to repeat. Um, the other two I had uh, are both on the Cyclones. Yeah. I, you know, I like the ones on the Cyclones too. Um, my question is on the Cyclones ones, does Jermaine Wade supplant Josh Potter as your guard off the bench? Um, well, I think the question is that with Wingfield gone, Potter might be the backup point guard now, which now creates a situation where you've got, uh, I guess, Latavius Morgan uh, as well as as Knicks to compete for that backup shooting guard spot. What I like about Knicks, and I know I've talked a lot of shit about Knicks over the years at various times, although he has often been quite productive, is that Knicks is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He has an A-plus for outside shooting. He has a long track record of being a very, very good three-point gunner. What players would he be the backup for? Um, Austin? No, Goodwin. Oh, Goodwin. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The team doesn't have to change the way they play. Yep. It's, it's, it, it is literally you are taking one of the best three-point shooters in the league off, 
off the court and you are putting on in his place one of the other best. It's it it just creates a, there's a there's a level of synchronicity there that I quite appreciate. Um, and the other one, um, and only because of this is situational, we've talked a lot about how the Cyclones are going to miss Tucker at the start. <clears throat> Not so much on podcasts yet because we haven't got to the season preview, but I've had a lot of conversations with people about where do you rank the Cyclones this year? as a contender or not, or in the Eastern Conference hierarchy because of the fact that they have lost Tucker for a third of the season. So I think Clay Stanback is actually the other one that's really valuable because he will most likely have to play the backup power forward minutes um, when that team starts the season. And I've mentioned, I mean, just take a look at Stanback's player card. Um, he has been a positive player when he's gotten minutes for the Vipers the last couple of seasons. He's a player that doesn't get a lot of attention because he's severely undersized at six foot seven. But even look at what he did for the Denver Dragons his rookie year. Yep. He's a guy. He's one of those guys who like the measurables aren't good. The scouting isn't great. I mean, the scouting's actually better than you think it would be. Would give it an opportunity. He just plays well and, and gets out, stays out of the way, and just is a high efficiency player. Yep. As so. I said, like he will, he will fill a role. Basically, that, that, that backcourt could go psycho on average 50 points per game for the first third of the season. Um, and they just need another body. And I think the team will be more dynamic running standback at power forward behind Milo rather than moving one of their centers down like um, Hawkins or something like that. So I think that that just gives them a few more options and I think it's valuable. The last guy I wanted to mention as an all, um, as a complete, like kind of uh, just worthy note was um, Xavier Fox um, going to the Renegades for uh, 1 million for one um, yeah. is now on the same roster as his brother, Ronshard, who we have talked about earlier this podcast. This is the, I think the first combination of brothers on the same roster since uh, my Tritons team, which had both of the Jackson brothers back in the late nineties. Yep. No, I believe in it. I think we mentioned that's a real interesting storyline to watch, especially because he pro- already, Xavier's probably the best defensive wing on that Renegades team and should be part of that rotation, I would think. And I would probably even try to find a way to put both Foxes on the court at the same time. Just for fun. Yeah, I'd try it for a couple of minutes. I'd try it for a couple of minutes again. Absolutely, I would for a couple of minutes again. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's probably a way you could figure it out. So. Um, I, th- I think overall interesting moves. I think to talk about, you talked about Chapel already, and I agree with basically everything that you've said. He's just high efficiency. You know, he knows what he is. He's going to play good defense. He's going to rebound. He's going to be around the rim for, for putbacks and alley-oops and dunks and things. And he's just not a bad player, especially on a mid-sal. I think from the Rockets' perspective, the reason I wanted to highlight both those deals is I do think, especially the Shandon James, I think one of the issues that this Rockets team has had is that they haven't really had a strong veteran presence. So James might be a corpse, but again, if you're just asking a player to shoot threes, he's going to get a lot of good looks playing alongside um, uh, the, the the point guard, whose name slips in mind, the, the all-star point guard, Evans. Um who creates a lot of opportunities. I think in box creation, he's like number one or number two, or he was the year before. So he's a really good creator for others on the floor. So James is going to get a lot of open looks on that high-paced offense. And I think Reggie Burke, he's an athletic uh, athletic rim-running, rebounding player. Um, I actually had him for his rookie season on the Scorpions, and one of the things I really remarked about him is how good he is on the boards. And I think that that's something that, with that kind of high-paced offense, 
you want to be able to win the rebounding battle as much as possible to give yourself second opportunities or win the possessions so that because you're going to have a, a lot of bad possessions when you have a lot of possessions in general and you want someone who will help you on the rebounding battle just to help you with those second chance opportunities and i think burke will have a chance he gets minutes to have a really good impact on a mincel so um yeah I, I i think there were really i think i mean you had said that with you really thought that with the competitiveness in the league really that these mincel deals are going to be harder to come by I kind of I kind of scoffed that a little bit, and I feel like I've been proven out a little bit correct on that because a lot there have been a lot of good Minnesota deals this free agency. Mainly, no, I think I, I think I think you probably are right. I think that uh, a lot of the cases where I don't think people sniped on them enough. Yep, essentially, like I, I I had my money tied up, but there were a few I could clearly identify as I knew where that player was being targeted from, and I wasn't in a position to stop it. Uh, and that, that that's how it goes. As I said, I, I think that, you know, as much fun as I had running around being a complete dick in free agency, like I know it's going to happen to me, but I expect it to be done to me. Um, but other people need to be as aggressive with their cap space when they have it. If you can, if you can put another team that's on your timeline in serious financial pain ahead of schedule, you are helping yourself even if you don't make yourself better because you're just making them worse. It's it's part of the game. Correct. And that was Minsal Bukaki for this season. That was also okay. our free agency preview or review. Okay. Sounds good. So we're moving on to League Pass. Am I running the show now? You're running the show now. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, League Pass rankings. So basically, um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, it is based on a Zach Lowe column that started at Grantland and has continued into his days at ESPN. It is essentially a case of if you had League Pass for the JBL, the came as the NBA version, and you could watch any team play whatever game they wanted uh, you wanted to watch, and you weren't relying on TNT or ESPN to put a decent game on. What teams would you be interested in tuning in on? Um, obviously, we don't factor in things like uniform and shit like that that's in Zach Lowe's list. Um, what the factors I tend to look at it and include in the rankings, and this is a model that um, RKG used last year when he built his list. He did the list last year, and I argued against, and this year we're doing it in the inverse. Um, so what what window is it what stage of their window is the team in are they a contender are they contend are they a contender are they a playoff team are they contending to make the playoffs or are they building how much change have they had relative to last season um whether it be low moderate high or very high um what i've generally looked at um it's not so much the number of players that have changed on your roster if your players only change from number 10 to number 15 I might view that as a low, whereas a team that lost one starter, I might view as a moderate if that was a key starter. Um, your system plays into it, which is why I've been harassing everyone to tell me what system they play in the last couple of days. Um, uh, key rookie, do, does your team have a key rookie? Um, I consider a key rookie anyone who is in the lottery for this purpose. Um, do you have emerging stars, uh, players who are still on their first contract who are you know, looking like they're on an upward trajectory towards stardom? And then do you have any established stars on your roster? So I think that's all pretty clear. That all makes sense, Mike? That all makes perfect sense. Okay, so we're starting at the bottom. Um, at number 30, I have the Oakland Tritons. Uh, they are a team that I consider to be building 
Uh, I'm not sure if they are a neat fit for any of the categories, to be honest, though, because they would probably want to be contending for the playoffs. But at the same time, I just don't think they have the juice. Um, they've had a little bit of change from last year because their point guard from last year was Hood. Hood is no longer there. Um, their center um, foreman uh, has moved to the drones. Um, they've added to Kemby Dallas. So there's there's some change there, but nothing outrageous. Um, obviously, their two key players are still intact. Um, in Navigato and Francis, they play Mori ball, which is something that suits the style of offense uh, that Francis likes to play. Um their key rookie is obviously Dikembe Dallas, who we haven't talked about much in terms of... we. I think he'll be good, but I don't know if he has the ceiling. I would say the team has no emerging stars and it has Francis and Navigato uh, as their stars. Look, for me, this is a team that's honestly pretty boring because they're the same team they've been the last four years. I feel like we know what the outcome for this team is going to be. They're going to finish somewhere between 8th and 10th, maybe 11th in the conference, and then we'll do it again next year. I'd probably have them a little bit higher just because Francis and Navigato, especially they're, they're both athletic players. They're both high flying players. To me, it's almost like the uh, Thunder team after Kevin Durant left in free agency to go to Golden State, that Thunder team, they were no longer contenders. They basically were a, uh, like an eighth or ninth seed. I think they made the eighth seed uh, the first year that Durant was gone and, uh, Westbrook won the MVP with his triple doubles. Not that Francis has won an MVP, but he, uh, I believe, did win the scoring title again this past year. So he, he does, the, he does, yeah, he does put up the points, and they're they're kind of exciting points, you know, so to speak. So I mean, compared to a team like the Mexico City Jaguars, which we haven't talked about yet, I mean, to me, like the Jaguars would probably be the bottom of this list, just because. There's really no one on their roster right now. They're almost like the process era 76ers. Like, can you, like, we'll take it to the Jaguars in a minute, but can we really name, like, more than three players on that roster? I know I can't yeah. as I'm sitting here. Um, yeah, I can. Well, you can, but that, that's because you're a sick well, person. Well, you ask, can anyone do it? I, I said I can't. <laughs> okay. Well, the, okay. The, point is, the, the point is to finish up on the Tritons. Um, I do think that the Tritons, to me, based on their current – they're going to be competitive, right? They're not going to be bottom of the barrel horrendously bad. So I think with that and the players they'd have, I'd probably put them like in the the between the 20-25 range, I would think. Maybe close to like even the 20 range just based on their personnel. Fair enough. Okay, um, so next up on the list is number 29, uh, the Charlotte Drones. They will contend for the playoffs. They've had a little bit of change because they brought Foreman in and will theoretically bench the Dodo. They play pace and space. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars, and they have R-Dub 2. They are boring. They are 29th the end. Again, I'd probably put them a little bit higher. They're kind of in that Tritons range for me because they're not going to be horrendously bad. They do have a good, exciting player in RW2. I think Pedroso is a pretty interesting player who could be primed for a breakout this year based on the fact that he was a little bit older when he came into the JBL. Um, for those who may recall, Pedroso, I think, won on the Arkansas team that won the national championship. He was the tournament's most valuable player. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of general managers were high on him and hoping he would come out even a year earlier before returning to Arkansas and getting buried on the bench a little bit. Um, so the drones do have some interesting talent, um, not to spoil the King of Matic, but I think the King of Matic is going to have them in or near the playoffs when those get released. 
So they're going to be very competitive, and I probably would have them higher than some of the other teams we're going to talk about shortly. Yeah, but that ruins the joke. Um, I think I think the other one factor that I've kind of probably factored in perhaps more than you have last year is is interest. Like, has the team done things that are – has the team made some changes that I'm curious to see how work out? I may not think that the change is going to work out, but I'm curious to see some of that kind of shit. Um, so, for instance, the next team is 28, the Oklahoma City Barons. They are clearly a team that is building. They haven't had a fundamental amount of change because they made their trades during last season rather than during the off season. They will be playing grit and grind. Uh, their emerging star would be Dutch. They don't have a key rookie because they traded their pick and they have hooker. Um, the reason I'm curious about this team and they're not near the bottom is, look, Dutch shoots way too much. Hale's not inherently exciting. But the fact is, if they do what they did last season and play three power forward centers on the court at the same time a lot and play hooker at small forward, I just think that's like kind of a train wreck I have to watch. Do you think they should play grin grind? Honestly... <laughs> probably balanced. Yeah. No, it's like, no, I want you to lie to me. <laughs> uh, look, look, as I said, I, I find them interesting because of what they're going to do. I'm not saying that's, that's not me co-signing what I think they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, this Barons team is, I, I, I think they're properly ranked. Um, I think at 28, I don't think I have any issues with where they're ranked. Because uh, I think they're probably in that twenty-five to thirty range. I do think Duck is an in- Duck. Yeah, Dutch is an interesting player to watch, if just because he's going to jack up a ton of shots, um, unless he kind of gets the clamps put down on him. So I do think that Oklahoma City is kind of, and, and they're and they're going to be working in Hooker, who um, you know has a player who's put up some eye-popping numbers when he's had the chance to really be featured and. They're going to do grit and grind. Hooker's going to be featured. So, um, yeah, I, I think 28 is probably fair for them. I, I kind of question grit and grind based on their current personnel. But, hey, you know, let, let's see what happens. Okay, next up, uh, the team that you thought should be lower, which is the Mexico City Jaguars, which are building. Uh, definitely, definitely building. They are the epitome of building. Uh, as you said, they are embracing the process. They have had a very high amount of change from last year. They are going to be playing balanced. They have a young rookie in the European Lazovic uh, power forward uh, from Serbia or some former Yugoslavian country. Probably Serbia. Lazovic. Um, I, just, I just think of that line from Austin Powers where it's like the laser. <laughs> the Lazovic. Okay. Uh, and, they have a, and they do have a star in Mark Hunter. The reason I find this team interesting is because um, I find Lazovic a really interesting, um, a really interesting um, type of player um, to watch develop. Um, he's a stretch four in a league that doesn't have a lot of stretch fours. And I actually think he may be, as he develops, the best um, offensive complement to Hunter that Hunter's ever played with. I don't think there's ever been a particularly good offensive match alongside Hunter uh, at any point in his career. So I find that quite interesting. I also think, uh, and you'll see this come up again when we start talking about the um, some of the prop bets, um, I have a funny feeling that Hunter is going to be this year's version of Hooker from two years ago. <laughs> 
So uh, oh. part of the reason why they're not on the bottom is I just want to see how fat a pig can get before it explodes. I just, um, I, I, I mean, I put Mark Hunter in the Kalen Anthony territory for me. Is that it's kind <laughs> of like, I know it's funny. You're like, yeah, it's the most talented four who's played next to Hunter. It's kind of like, you know. Skekmal uh, is in a slight category above the other Dodos. He's like a more evolved version of the Dodo. But yes, he's, he has Dodo tendencies. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the girl with the prettiest dress still dies in the train <laughs> crash with everyone else. So, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the Lazovic uh, when he okay. gets his opportunity. So who, so who, who you got for um, most likely to fail European lottery prospect, Bohan Starovic or Lazovic? I'm actually reasonably confident both of them will be fine long-term. Oh, look, look at you being the optimist. No, no. Like I think Starovic, no, no, don't get me wrong. Bojangles was a bad pick by Boston last year because of what Boston wanted to do in the short term. He was not inherently a bad pick. I think uh, I think Nikos is revert is reserving some uh, chairs, you know, down in Hades because he plays with the Devils. But Nikos is uh, get, getting some seats warm for uh, for Lazovic and Starovic. Okay, so, all the moving, Viches. Moving on before you hate on all Europeans. Uh, we've already got an explicit warning. We don't need to go full racist as well. Um, uh, so number twenty six is the New Orleans Hurricanes. They are a team that is building. They have had minimal change uh, over this off season. They are going to be playing grit and grind. Um, they have no key rookies because they had no picks. Um, emerging stars. Uh, I think you'd say Lawson fits into that category, and I'd say that they don't have an existing star. Um, for me, look, the only reason they're not lower down because um, grit and grind is not inherently exciting is that I think that you know. Lawson and Woodson have the ability to pop at some point. Um, and if they do both pop, this could be interesting. I mean, another grit and grind team. I mean, I look at a player like Woodson and I'm like, here's a guy who can space the floor and stretch the floor. Like, why are we, why are we forcing him into an offense that keeps around the basket all the time? That I just a thought, just a thought. Um, putting that thought aside, uh, I think hurricanes are properly rated here. I do think Lawson and Woodson are particularly interesting. Um, I think Bentley actually is a pretty interesting three uh, three point specialist as well. So they've got some good players. Um, the team style would hold them back, and I think just Woodson's going to take a long val- volume of time to kind of get ready and get to where he needs to be a competent player. So I think that twenty six is is pretty fair. Okay, moves on to number 25, which is the Kansas City Knights. They are building. They have had a relatively high amount of turnover, mainly because Comey likes flipping assets. Uh, They will be playing pace and space, based on my most recent conversation with Mr. Comey. Um, Key rookies would be Fontana and Nelson. Uh, Emerging star, definitely RJJ. uh, And they have no kind of prime level star. Um, basically they're down this far because it's, um, same shit, new rookie point guard. Like it's, um, I think we're going to see two centers on the court, one at power forward again, which we saw last year. I think we're going to see a rookie point guard again, Fontana in the place of Weathers. Um, what I find exciting about this team is RJJ, who I am super high on, but apart from that, um, I don't think the team will be fundamentally more interesting than it was last year. 
Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, I do think there could be some potential RJJ breakout buzz, depending on how good Fontana is out of the gate. Um, I do think that the Fontana RJJ backcourt meshes a lot better than um, the uh, Jet Weathers RJJ backcourt. And I think also, remember last year they were trying to really with Whiteside uh, pump up his value. They weren't necessarily trying to put, I think, their best potential starting five moving forward. Here, I would think that a lot of this year is really going to be focused on getting RJJ and Fontana a lot of reps together, getting Dillinger a lot of reps with them. Um, you know, I, I, I would think that that's probably what they're going to do, and they're going to be preparing think, to hopefully add Jack Dawkins next year. Do you think Terry's going to have one make $1 million per minute played average, on average? He might. I don't know. I, I, I get the feeling that he's primarily brought aboard for mentorship. As I said, um, I reckon he, he's going to get in excess. I reckon he might get in excess of $1 million per minute. He might be, uh, he'll be able to buy some very expensive and nice street clothes. So he, he's going to be, if, if, if there was any player who was going to have the fancy Russell Westbrook outfits and, you know, they have the camera when they're walking into the arena and stuff like that, when they're coming to the game, that's going to, that, that's going to be him. That's going to be Brandon Terry. He's going to have the, the best bling out of anyone walking into the, to the gymnasium. Okay. Number 24, the Austin Rockets who I, I have down as a contend for playoff team. They've had a moderate amount of change, although their core big three is still intact. They play pace and space. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars. Um, and I would say Evans is the one guy who is a clear star on that team. Um, the reason they're this low, despite the fact that they play a, a, an interesting brand of basketball and they have an exciting star in Evans is essentially... This is the same thing we've seen for this will be the third or fourth third season in a row of the same thing, which is Evans and Zion and Sprinkle with not enough around them. The uh, parts probably, around the parts around them have changed, and maybe it's not as and I think the situation is not as dire in terms of what is around them as it was last year, but I think fundamentally it is the same thing, just a slightly better version of it, and that's not particularly exciting to me personally. I'd probably have the Rockets higher. I think Evans is really kind of burgeoning. He probably should have made the all-star team last year, frankly, just looking at production. Um, I think we're all kind of waiting for the Jeffries breakout season, which is basically two years beyond when it should happen. I mean, that that's really what's holding this team back is that. I, I think it's the way the team uses him though. I don't, I'm not convinced. I'm not, I don't think unless they change the way they use him, I don't think the breakout's coming. His efficiency numbers were good last year. Well, I think that's the problem. They need to figure out a better way to use him, I think, to really yep. maximize him out. Or, so, or is he worth that much money on that team if they're going to continue to use him like that? Would they not. be better off getting something else? Yeah, you could go get a Jeremiah Augustin and get the same like, value for like $1.5 million. I think that's um, slightly. I think that's slightly overstating it, but sure. <laughs> you get. Yeah, I mean, you you get the general sense, right? You don't need to spend. No, no, I said, you don't need to spend a max. You don't need to spend basically max money on Jeffries if you're not going to utilize him to max level. And I do think that they don't need to pay Jeffries that money, especially when they're depth. Especially when they've got depth problems. Like if you had a above average power forward on like half that money, and then another good wing. I'd probably prefer that. Yeah. Yeah. Or even figure out something with sprinkle and really max out the center position and then try to get some cheap shooters around Evans and said center. 
you get like yeah. a real dominant center, like even like a hooker or something like that. Yeah. So I think Sprinkle is Sprinkle is what he is at this point. I think, I think he, Sprinkle's better. I think Sprinkle's better than Hooker, but he's never going to be an offensive force. Exactly. He's a he's a really good, probably top five defensive center in the league, maybe. And um, he's probably top five, top and, 10. and out of those players, he's probably the best one if you want to play up tempo. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, there's I mean, there's real advantages to sprinkle, um, which I think are coming beyond stat, uh, beyond the stats. But I said I don't think the team is necessarily getting the best out of Jeffries, um, and I don't see that changing. Yeah, I mean, I would have the Rockets higher, but I do think that after this year, if they're kind of still struggling around that forty forty two win mark, they got to take a look at themselves in the mirror because their key players are at peak level at that point, and this is the best it's going to get on those salaries. That's a problem. Yep. Okay, number 23 is the St. Louis Skyhawks. They are, I wrote playoffs, although I came very close to writing contend for playoffs. Um, they were like the last part of the playoff bracket. Um, they haven't really had any change. They are paced in space. Uh, they don't have any key rookies. They don't have any emerging stars. They have Jamal Johnson. Who could? Um, look, Jamal Johnson is an exciting player. Uh, they play an exciting uh, style. I like Kamga. Uh, I don't love. I didn't love the addition of Woodley late last season um, because I think that choked it up again. Um, I don't find this team particularly interesting. I think they have a low ceiling as they are currently constructed, but they will play. They will probably. They would probably be an attractive team to watch play a game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. I do wonder if the second year of Camga, I think with a little bit more cohesion, will look better. I think he was a little bit disappointing with how it kind of played out. Um, but, and, and I do wonder if Jamal Johnson has maybe stalled out a little bit, but he's still young. So still has room to grow and still room to develop. I'd probably have them. I think they're probably properly rated along with the Austin Rockets. Um, I think 23 is about fair for them. Honestly, the teams that I have 22 to 24 on the list, uh, and you'll find out what the 22nd team is shortly, folks. Um, I could have slipped around reasonably comfortably. They're all, they're pretty much a tier of themselves. Um, okay. Basically, that tier is called bottom of the West. Um, <laughs> bottom of the West playoff race. Um, and the 22nd team is the Dallas Predators, who I have as a playoff team. They've had a moderate amount of change, uh, mainly because of the significance of one particular player, which is the Skekmel Hunter. Uh, they play Mori Ball. They have an emerging star potentially in Acosta, and they have an established star in Stackhouse. Um, basically, um, this is the same team it was last year minus Hunter, or it's the same team as the year before that, but pl- with, sub- with the substitution of Fisher in place of Barber. Um, they still have some question marks at power forward. Um, I'm reasonably bullish on Acosta this year. I think Acosta will break, could potentially be a breakout candidate in his contract year. And I also think that Stan- um, Sanford will play far more like year two than he did in year three, where I think the, um, the spacing of that team really hurt him. Um, there's nothing hugely inherently exciting about the players on this roster, but I think there's a lot of upside on some of the players on the roster, and I'd like to see them play basketball with spacing that's not based from the 80s. Yeah, I, I think turn it over to Acosta and Stackhouse and let them run. Um, let, let them run, let them roll, let them be the primary usage guys on this team. I think it's time, especially from Acosta, who I think has been really held back a bit by the marker, mark, you know, Stackhouse experience, I mean, there was an argument during the 2025 draft that Acosta was the second best player 
available after um, after Walcott, uh, after Acosta led Michigan to the CJBL National Championship in the 2024 season. He was considered a um, above average defensive player. If I remember correctly, he did have a couple of personality issues, which also may have uh, held back his development a little bit. And I think which what caused him to slide a little bit in that draft class. Um, but I think it's really a cost us time and let him have a chance to, uh, with some better spacing, really kind of take over. And Stackhouse, we've seen him really kind of dominate before Hunter. And now with the lane pretty much clear, uh, I think that you'll see Stackhouse do, I guess, a lot better, especially with a, a true point guard at the controls like Fisher. And I think Sanford uh, would be a good three-point wing. And then you think power forward, they just really need some competence there, and it's a pretty good starting lineup. So I, I think, if I remember correctly, this Dallas team won pretty close to 50 games or finished fourth, um, not, not last year, but the year before, before they, uh, before they added – uh, Hunter, I'm actually looking now just to double check. They finished fourth, but they lost in the first round to the Lightning because Bradley went ham. Yeah, but they won 48 games that year, and like you said, they lost when Bradley went ham. Um, you know, in 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 that playoff series. So, I mean, they took a step back last year. They were before they added Hunter. They were on a pretty nice upward trajectory where they just kept basically developing their players. And last year was the first step back. Maybe they could kind of get back on that trajectory and really make a leap. Uh, almost similar to what happened with the Fireballs when they La Cruz traded all those players. They fell out of the lottery, uh, fell out of the playoffs in 2022. And then the next year they came roaring back and had a pretty good 2023 season. You can almost see something like that happening with them. I think they're probably properly rated here though, for the league pass rankings. Okay. Um, so uh, number 21 is the Atlanta Devils. They are certainly building. They've had a relatively high level of change with the uh, the loss of Robertson and Wallace, which is their entire small forward rotation, as well as the additions of Duane Brooks, who will most likely start at small forward, and Darius Covington in the draft. They play pace and space. They have an emerging star in Valentine, but no established star. Um, look, they play an attractive style of basketball. I think Valentine's uh, an interesting prospect, and it'll be interesting to watch how he grows in year two. Um, if he can develop his efficiency on where it was last year, given the volume, he will become a 20-point-per-game scorer very quickly. Um, and uh, and this is where I let you filibuster for a minute or two about um, your love of Darius Covington. Sure. So before I get to my love of Darius Covington, I think there's a good argument that uh, Harmon and Valentine might be one of, if not the uh, most electric backcourt in the JBL for this upcoming season. Really young, exciting players. Harmon really put it together with an opportunity to kind of be on the ball with Valentine, more of an off-ball spot-up shooter. And they seem to really complement each other quite well, which is really good for Atlanta because one of the reasons Valentine fell is because he seemed like a pretty odd fit as a off-ball but shot-dominant kind of guard and whether you play him at the point guard or shooting guard position. So they seemingly resolved that. Um, but the interesting thing is, as much as I love Covington, he's not what I would consider a sexy player. He's not going to, like, I would be stunned if he's the kind of player who puts up a double-double. I think he's going to suck up a lot of rebounds. I think he'll have some games where he'll score. Like, he'll get double-doubles. He'll get, like, 15 and 10. But I think he's an excellent complementary player. And I think if they're committed to Trayvon Miller, Covington and Miller make a lot of sense, but there's young players on this Atlanta team. I think Valentine is extremely attractive as is Harmon. And um, 
again, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, which is why I think having them down here is properly rated. But if you're just looking at you – I, I think a good analogy for them is the modern-day Atlanta Hawks, you know, with um, Denzel Valentine kind of playing the Trey Young role. I can see a lot of similarities with the two Atlanta teams where the Hawks are probably not going to make the playoffs, but they're a fun team to watch and their backcourt can get hot and knock some play and knock some teams off. You know, if Trayvon is uh, playing efficiently down on the post and Covington is winning the rebound battle and their, their backcourt is really kind of dominating, they can basically surprise and get some, uh, some, some wins over some nice quality teams this year. Okay. Uh, so that's, I think, enough about the Devils. Uh, that brings us to number 20, which is the Baltimore Bullets. Uh, they are building. Um, amazingly, for a team that IGM, the change has been low. Uh, they run seven seconds or less. Uh, they have no key rookies. Um, Price and Diop would be listed, are listed as emerging stars, and they have no existing stars. Um, basically, you're going to see this year exactly what you saw in the second half or post All Star break last year. Ain't nothing yep. that exciting. Uh, I mean, I think they're probably pretty exciting. Um, again, I think I kind of put. I think they are right at about twenty. They're definitely a top twenty team. They're not in the bottom bottom tier just because Price and Diop are going to be pretty interesting to watch. I think as they kind of work together, they kind of hit that spot where they're in their fit their fourth season, so they're both potentially very much primed for a breakout. Um, but they fall within that category of the non-playoff Eastern Conference teams. I do think one thing that is pretty interesting is that I do think the non-playoff Eastern Conference teams, to me, are more interesting than the non-playoff Western Conference teams, just in general, because we talked about Atlanta and Baltimore, and I think you kind of agree with that based on how you set a lot of these teams up. I think that's fair. I think there are some teams in the uh, I think there are some teams in the west bottom half of the west that are um, just they're kind of stagnant or they're a little bit further back in their build. I think once you have a building team that has one or two potential future stars in place, they're a little bit more interesting. Yep. Um, All right. Because that's that's that impacts the quality of the product theoretically. Um, number nineteen, the Minneapolis Blizzards. Uh, they're going to make the playoffs. They've had moderate amount of change in that they have lost uh, Spencer and Webster over the course of the last you know, half a season. They play seven seconds or less. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars. And right now, I'm only comfortable putting Galloway as a star. I'm not quite comfortable putting the other, Gall- the other Donovan down, although it was close. Um, I want to see him do it for another season after last year's good increase by um, Mobley. Um, so, yeah, look, the reason why I have them down this low is this is essentially the same team we've seen for the last two seasons now, uh, but with let, sorry, with less depth. Uh, they are now relying solely on a very old man uh, version. I think he's 34 of Omar Grant in the post. Um, so, you know, it's the big three of Mobley, Galloway, and Slay. Uh, but with less around than there have been in previous years. This is probably the team to me, I think, that we would disagree the most on. Because I think to me, the Blizzards are easily a top 15, if not a top 10 team. I mean, just because it's a similar team as the last couple of years doesn't make them really any less interesting. I mean, they have been a consistent playoff team. Um, I think on paper, Mobley with his athleticism, Galloway with his production, 
And even Slay, with the kind of unique player he is, would kind of attract a lot of eyeballs, along with the play style that they have. Um, I think the Blizzards would probably be higher on this list for me, just based on their uh, their their uh, type of players they have and the type of scheme they run. I think this is a team that got hit badly by me because I'm not interested in them. Like they don't have they don't, no no, but like they don't have questions that I'd be watching to try to find the answer to, right? Um, because I know what they are. They're a slightly inferior version of last year. Like I don't have any questions about them, and that's one when of the reasons. Further down, I think purely. Purely as a viewing product, they would be higher. Yeah. When the King of Maddox is released, because that's what I use for my quote-unquote formula for League Pass, I'll be curious when I plug all that in how different my list would look like your, would look different from your list. I don't think there would be a ton of variances, but I think the Blizzards would probably be one that we'd probably differ somewhat significantly on. So, But I, I get it from your perspective. Okay. Number 18 is the Nashville Stars. They are building. They have had a moderate degree of change. Uh, with a few people who are contributing, moving around, and obviously the addition of their key rookie in Kittles. Uh, their emerging star would be Dioff, and their existing star would be the much maligned uh, DB7, Darius Barry. Um, they have a lot of talent on this squad. Um, for me, they play pace, they're going to play pace and space most likely, which is an attractive style, which I think if you have a lineup one to three, which is Dioff, Kittles, and Barry, that could be potentially quite dynamic and exciting to watch. Um, I also have the extra interest question of are players going to play in their correct positions this year, which is a source of interest for me. Um, that's probably why they're here. Well, they probably also have the most interesting halftime show of any team in the JBL because they have the Grayson family doing their gymnastics during halftime while Alfred and, Alfred and Bruce watch from the rafters and hope that they, uh, the family doesn't fall again and fall to their deaths. So um, it, very exciting halftime show in Nashville. Fair enough. Okay, number 17 as we get closer to the middle it, is... And that's the analysis you pay for, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, to be fair, there's been more analysis in this segment of the podcast than I was expecting, Mark. I thought we'd churn through this faster. Um, so, 17, the Pittsburgh Vipers. They are certainly a playoff team. I'm not ready to list them as a contender. They've had a moderate degree of change because Mike can never quite figure out what the fuck he wants to do at point guard. Uh, they play grit and grind, which is boring as batshit. They have no key rookies. Uh, they have no stars, and they have two emerging stars in Lane and Greeley. Um, yeah. Like, I respect the Vipers, but I don't really want to watch them play. Well, we do have the sexiest halftime show because we just have the, the penis races during uh, <laughs> halftime. So that's how we entertain the folks here in Pittsburgh. Ooh. So I thought it, I mean, we got at least half an hour without a penis joke, Mike. Homie, I got your half-court seat right here. Come watch <laughs> the penis races. <laughs> okay. We'll skip past your team, or do you want to talk about them some for a small no, I, no I, I think that's fair i mean we I, I intentionally play a boring style because it's fun for me even though it's not fun for everyone else so um we have big posters of rashawn haslam draining the game-winning threes over the cincinnati kings and the philadelphia warriors so the fans like to see that and uh i i, th I think right here as a playoff team that plays a boring style right at the mendoza line is probably a good place for them at 17 that was kind of, I thought that you were the litmus test. Like you were the, like you were one of the lowest good teams. Uh, and I think you're higher in the playoff bracket than a lot of other teams are, but I just couldn't put you any higher because I just wouldn't want to watch a team that plays your style play. Um, 
So next up is number 16. It is the Las Vegas Scorpions, who are most certainly building. Uh, they have had a relatively high degree of change between some trades in the back half of last season, the Dozier trade that went down in this offseason, as well as the acquisition of their key rookie, uh, Isaiah Swain. They have an emerging star in Jeremy Jackson, unless you think that Mike is right and that he has no ceiling, uh, and they have no existing stars, because Bradley, I would say, is probably just post-star. Um, so, look, basically, they're here because um, Swain. I, I want to see what Swain looks like transferred to the pros. I think some of the things that Stanford did last year with him, uh, basically playing a zone defense around the big mountain in the middle, obviously don't necessarily translate to the JBL. Um, there was a lot of talk about his workouts and the quality of the workouts. Um, this really is a vote for, I think Jackson has the potential to have a good sophomore season. Um, but also, more importantly, this is pretty much purely a vote on I want to see what Swain looks like translated to the JBL. I'd probably have the Scorpions lower just because I feel like if you squint hard enough, you could see Bowen and Pierce or Ast or Astbury and Johnson. I think that's I think that there are I think there is uh shot distributions and evidence that would suggest that Jackson is far more of a competent spacing option next to Swain than the option the combination that you are talking about. We will see, but I'm I, uh I think that I'm is dubious. I think that is slightly slanderous. Okay. I'm, I'm dubious. And we do have the point guard graveyard, which is always interesting in Las Vegas. Next up, number 15, the Chicago Jailbirds. They are going to be a playoff team. They've had moderate change because a lot of their benchy pizzas turned over and they lost Carter. Uh, They play a balance system. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars. They have Chaney and Clarkson. Um, They are probably an appealing team to watch because they have Chaney, who would be real good, and Clarkson is probably more appealing to watch than some other centers because he can pass the ball and space a little bit. However, at the end of the day, this is the same fucking team with slight changing parts around Chaney that it has been for what feels like a decade now, and I'm just not that interested. Yeah, this is basically like the Utah Jazz circa 1997, 1998, right? Yep. Good, good, but not interesting. Yep, I think that's kind of where they fall. Yep, okay. So that brings us to the next one, which is... Uh, where are we? Sorry, I turned off my spreadsheet for a second. Uh, the next one is number 14, the Denver Dragons. They will contend for the playoffs uh, based on the fact that they finished 16 and 9 after acquiring Adams at the end of last season. They've had a moderate degree of change uh, with some, adding some nice pieces and obviously adding their key rookie Wooten in the draft to fill their small forward vacancy. They have a significant uh, emerging star in Farmer, who had a great second season last season, and they have an established star at the point guard position in Adams, who really turned this team around uh, when he got on board last year. Um, they play pace and space, which is an exciting style, which is a good combination for the Denver altitude. They looked really dynamic down the stretch. I love Farmer and a and Stone as a defensive front court that also complements each other on offense where you have a situation where Stone can be a straight rim runner and Farmer is capable of moving out to the corners and shooting threes. Um, Adams is an exciting player, although he has his obvious flaws. Um, I really like what they're building in Denver. Too high for me. I'd probably swap the uh, <laughs> Dragons and the Blizzards. I'd probably put the Blizzards at 14 
and the Dragons at 19. Um, I think a little bit of a small sample size, a 16 and 9. It's good, but I'm not going to bank my thoughts on that. Like, okay, now that changed, and they're going to be a playoff team now. So I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative on them. Note, that I, said, really... note that I said contend for playoffs, not playoffs. Well, contend for playoffs, but still. I, I mean, you have them over a playoff team in, in the Blizzard. So, I yes, mean... in, 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 a, in a view of what I find exciting, not in a, like, I think they are better than. Yes. This is the, uh, the I know, this is the, the Andrew Taylor erection index. I, I get it. Um, okay. But my, my point being, I feel like you, I feel like you worked it a bit too hard to get that one in there. But sure, okay. I tried. I tried. Okay, yeah. so this doesn't flow off the tongue. Um, but in any event, I do agree. Malik Farmer, probably one of the most exciting future young prospects in the league right now. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to look back at that 2025 draft and kind of see where he ends up. Uh, especially because he was considered a really top elite prospect and it's kind of playing out that way. And I think he's probably a fun player to watch. He's basically Zion. So, and we see kind of how Zion's elevated the Pelicans. So, I mean, that, that, I think that's probably the best argument is that Farmer, such uh, an, an interesting player to watch him develop because otherwise I think Denver would be somewhat boring to me. But Malik really adds a, a nice flavor to it that I'd probably have them top 20, but I do think 13, 14's a little high. Okay, number 13 uh, is the Boston Crusaders, who I believe will contend for the playoffs. Uh, they've had will a- they, though? Question mark? Anyway, go ahead. It's a bracket called contend for the playoffs. It's not me saying I think they will contend for the playoffs. You'll find out the answer to that on, in about 35 hours. Um, they've had a relatively high amount of change churning the back end of their roster. Spencer in for Pierce. They've added uh, Rucker who's their key rookie. They play pace and space. They have no emerging stars, but it's fair to say they have existing stars in Hughes. And I'm going to put West in. I think West is a star. Just not an all-star, Calvin. Just not an all-star. <laughs> oh, yes, I love it. <laughs> okay. So, um, no, look, I think Boston... I think Boston play an exciting brand of basketball. Um, having Kelly at the four part of the time makes him a little bit more dynamic and pacey. Um, West is really good. Hughes is probably an exciting player, although he's a ball hog. I think Rucker is a really interesting player to have coming off the bench as a rookie because I think he can probably anchor that second unit to a degree. Um, they've got interesting prospects like Bohan on the roster. You know, this, this is an interesting team that I think is going to be better than last year. Whether they're good enough to make the playoffs, time will tell. Uh, but they play an attractive style of basketball. They have some interesting pieces. They have some stars. I'd watch that. Yeah, Boston top 10 for me. I think probably a little bit low here. I'd probably drop down maybe the Colonels or something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about where the Colonels are ranked. But um, I think for me, the Crusaders, because I think they will be pretty competitive for a playoff spot. They do have Hughes, who's one of the top scorers and top overall prospects in the league. I think West had a really nice breakout year. Um, I do think adding Spencer and adding Rucker actually gives them a good a, a bit of intrigue as well as continuing development from Bohan as kind of an interesting piece. So I think this Crusaders team is probably a little bit low uh, on your list. Fair enough. Um, this one we can do real fast, which is number 12, the Renegades, because we've already invested some time on them. They will contend for the playoffs. They've had a very high degree of change. Um, they have play, are looking like they're going to play a balanced system this year. Um, you could argue that Fox might be an emerging star as a player who is still on his rookie contract. Um, and they have existing stars in Harrell and Slattery. Um, for me, um, they've got two big-name stars, and 
I probably would have had them slightly lower for that kind of treadmill sameness factor, except for the fact that the changes they've made this offseason have me really intrigued to watch how this team plays. Yeah, I mean, 12 feels about right. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, this should be top 10 too, but when we get to the top 10 teams, I'm having trouble finding a team I would take out. Um, But I think that 12, 11, they're right at that top 10, right at the precipice. Um, I just think that the record, in my mind, wouldn't be good enough to get in that top five kind of category for most interesting teams. Yeah, as I said, I I think it's pretty much clear that you prefer to have... Uh, I think you place a higher emphasis on that than I do on winning. Versus that's the difference in the way we are building the list. I have an interest factor that I'm using heavily, and you use a, a relevance one, I think, to the same degree. Anyway, number 11, the Houston Lightning. Uh, I have written them as a contender. Uh, they have had a very low amount of change. They run a balanced system. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars, but they have Weaver. They are number 11 because they have Weaver. Otherwise, I don't find them particularly exciting. Yeah, it's it's LeBron on the Cavs, you know. Yep. Um, probably have the Lightning a little bit higher. I mean, that Cavs team was not fun to watch. I mean, Kevin Love isn't really pulling the players in, but the Cavs always did really well in the TV ratings because they had LeBron. And it's kind of like that with Lightning and the Weaver. Probably put them a little bit higher. They're probably a team I'd put top five just based on all things go through Weaver. But um, they are just outside of the top ten. I'd probably have them a little bit higher. See, I looked at it the other way. I wanted to see how far I could push it down the list to troll Kyle, and I couldn't justify pushing it any lower than this. <laughs> yeah, 11 is probably too low. I, I mean, if, if we're being pragmatic no, and not, no. not trolling Kyle. No. Okay, number 10, the Phoenix Vultures. They are building. Uh, they have had a high degree of change. They are pace and space. They have a key rookie in Winder. They have an emerging star in no one, and they have no stars. However, I am all in on watching this team as it enters the 21st century and abandons the triangle and goes for something a little bit more up pace with pace and space being the likeliest option. Although seven seconds or less is still under consideration. Uh, I'm all in on the Winder train. I think Winder and Jet are going to be a really interesting backcourt that I'm excited to see. Um, I don't think they're going to be good. Don't get me wrong, but I am absolutely interested to tune in and see what this team is. Yeah, probably too high. I'd probably drop them down to like 14th or 15th right around Denver Dragons. Kind of a similar argument. I think Phoenix is going to be bad. I think Winder is really fun and exciting to watch, but it's kind of the same thing as Malik Farmer. I mean, if there's no Winder on this team, you're probably dropping them down to like in the low 20s. So yep. That's I, how I much think, I'm in on Winder. That's how much I'm in on Winder. Yeah, I know you're, you're, you're gone with the Winder. Um, so probably a little too high for me, but um, again, not, not horrendous. Probably, I think the most egregious one we haven't even gotten to yet. I'm kind of excited about it. So we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, number nine, Miami Cyclones. They are a contender. Uh, they've had a lower grant of change. They are a pace and space to offense. They have no key rookies, no emerging stars. And at, at least for the first third of the season, they have two stars in Gamble and Goodwin. Um, I love this backcourt. I think they are. They have a situation where they have a lot of good youth on their bench that if that takes the next step, this is a team that could push up. But um, a, a, a team that runs a nice style of basketball with a strong point guard and, and at least one or two other good players to watch is always going to be a decent watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think of a good analogy for them. I think maybe like the uh, Seattle Supersonics with... Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. 
Well, as Goodwin as Hornacek. Goodwin as Hornacek. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not a perfect analogy. No, the point being is that the, the the point being is that I think Gamble, no, Gamble and Tucker, Tucker and Goodwin would be pretty fun to watch. They're in their primes. Um, they're going to be really competitive this year. We had already talked about all the depth that they've added. I think even Jermaine Wade kind of coming back. I said, what, wasn't he a Cyclone at some point, if I remember correctly, before re-signing, or am I misremembering that? Eh. Not sure. <laughs> it's, right. it's Jermaine Wade. It's Jermaine Wade. I haven't paid attention to Jermaine Wade for at least a year. Fair enough. Um, at least a year. Wow, that's optimistic. No, but but I, I, I think that they're – they're, they're a fun team to watch. So I, I think nine is a good spot for them. Cool. Okay. Number eight is the Cincinnati Kangs, uh, formerly known as the Death Star. We can stop calling them the Death Star now. Um, the window, uh, they are a contender. Uh, they've had a relatively high amount of change because they lost uh, a fairly significant portion of their bench. Um, they play Mori Ball. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars. And they have Hawes and Owens as stars. And I presume that someone is probably going to protest that I haven't included Benson in that. I don't care. Um, yeah, so that's the Kings. They are really good. They will not be as good as they were last year. That is all. They have been demoted to shiny TIE fighter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, probably a little too low for me. I think they're still top five. Just won the championship, so they have the defending championship champion factor which I think would give them a lot of interest in the ratings. Still have Kelvin Hawes, who's at the peak of his powers, um, and kind of gotten the monkey off his back. Uh, I think they play a pretty fun brand of basketball to watch. Um, to me, they're kind of like, I don't know, maybe that the, the Warriors team after the first Kevin Durant title. So, I mean, everyone's kind of rooting against them a little bit because no one wants to see them like have their own dynasty, but they're still pulling in the ratings and things like that. So, I think I'd probably put the Kings in that kind of territory. Okay. And this is the one you want to take shots at me for, which is number seven, uh, the Cincinnati Kings 2.0, the Louisville Colonels, who will contend for the playoffs. They've had a high degree of change. They play pace and space. They have Jamal Haywood as a key rookie. Um, I would argue they don't have any guaranteed stars. That's slightly trollish, but I'm not going to give Mason that based on a third of a season. Um, look, the reason they're up here this high is because um, the ongoing P.T. Barnum behavior of Izzled and the ongoing Mason bullshit is highly entertaining. Uh, they play an attractive style. I actually really like Mason and Thibule. Um, I think Haywood will be interesting to watch as a rookie, and I just really wanted to put um, Kangs 2.0 above the Kangs. Yeah, that's, that's why he wanted to do it. So, I mean, in, in the real world... In the real world that I live in, um, this is a in the in the real world. I probably have them down more like the 12, 13, 14 range. Yeah, and that's about where they probably should be. And this is not your most egregious one, by the way. We'll get to that. But oh, I know, I know who it's going to be. I know who it's. I I I have a suspect. I I know, but I I really don't care what you think. That's that's, right. That's that's fine. That's fine. So, but 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 with but let me just finish this thought on on the kernels. Um, I mean, there definitely are some interest level in terms of they, they are going to have the second overall pick. So that's always a nice bonus for them. But I just think that because they're in the contend for playoffs range, there are other teams that are, are like the, the Lightning and the Kings that the Colonels are probably better suited in that range with the Crusade, with the Dragons and with the Vultures in my mind. Yeah. 
Okay, so next up. Okay, next up is the number six Philadelphia Warriors. They are a contender. They have had a moderate degree of change. They are playing Mori Ball. Uh, they have emerging stars in McConnell and KB Dollar Sign. Um, and as bad as Banks was in the first couple of games of a playoff series last year, he is still a star. Um, Look, they play Maury Ball, which is not unattractive. Um, I really like McConnell and KB Dollar Sign. I think Collier is exciting. I think Curry is an exciting player. There's just a level of star power to this team. Um, and given that they are a genuine contender this year, I just think it's hard to put them any lower than that. Properly ranked, especially since they're in the choker window. So. <laughs> You're just going to leave it with that. We move on. That's, that's I'll what just you want leave to it there. I'll just leave it there. I, I figured that was that. I, I saw that. I thought they put a nice button on it for you. Okay, number five. Uh, the other choking team, the Detroit Mustangs. Uh, they are a contender. Uh, they have had a moderate degree of change because of the retirements of Dawkins and IMAC have resulted in some bench to, a fairly significant amount of bench turnover. They play a balanced system. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars. And I would say Robinson is the only one, the Messiah, who truly qualifies as a star. Um, although there is one other player who is probably close. Um, look, uh, Messiah are exciting. And he has some good wing players around him in Honeycutt and Hicks. Uh, they have a nice offense. Um, that's about it. And they're a genuine contender. Like, they're a really good team. Um, they're up here not because of any other reason than they have one really big name star, an MVP candidate, and they're a good team. I think the analogy you gave earlier is the, uh, and I agree with this, the Dirk Dirk Nowitzki like 2006 Mavericks team. As I said, until he wins a championship now, he has a little bit of a, a black mark on his name. Yeah, I, I, I like that analogy of that. That 2006 Mavericks team, they were like, what, number one, I think? And they yeah, went they were number one. They won 68 games. They were number one by a long way. Yeah, I, I think I think the Mustangs could. I mean, if you told me the Mustangs would have the best overall record in the Eastern Conference this year at the end, I wouldn't be stunned. No, I think you could you could sell me on four teams having the top record. Yeah, and if they lost in like the conference finals or like the JBL finals and Josiah didn't show up, I wouldn't be stunned either. <laughs> okay, you want to put that? Is that your button for that team as well? <laughs> That's my button for that team as well. Okay, number four, the Seattle Thunder. Uh, they are in a playoff window. I'm not quite ready to elevate them to contender yet. Um, this is one of the decisions that I feel like I'm 50 50 going to get this right or wrong. I think it's right on the line. Uh, they've had a very low degree of change, although they did add uh, they did add um, blah, 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 what's his name Nash as their backup shooting guard, which is a significant add, but it's not a key role. Uh, they play pace and space. Uh, they have emerging stars in Walcott and MBJ, and they obviously have uh, Andre Pfeiffer as an existing star. Um, Walcott and MBJ are going to get better. Pfeiffer is still really good and in peak. Uh, they play an attractive style of basketball. They're going to be good to watch. That's yeah. pretty much it. I think this is probably the most properly rated team in the rankings. Four is, I think, perfect for them. For the, the style they play, the, the potential quality of their players, the kind of wow factor. I mean, Pfeiffer is still all JBL kind of player. Um, yeah, I, 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 have, uh, I agree with that ranking. 
Oh, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. You said the kindest thing. You're, you're welcome. When you're, talking, when you're not talking about dicks. This uh, is a very nice erection list. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Uh, I had fun erecting the list. Um, number three, uh, the Toronto Huskies. Uh, they are in the contending window. They've had a low degree of change because uh, they were able to get back uh, Cummings uh, reasonably efficiently. Uh, they play Mori Ball. They have no key rookies. They have no emerging stars, uh, but they have uh, probably a significant surplus of star power with Q and Houston running the show. Um, again, Q and Houston. Basically, Q alone would have this team in the top five for me. Such I'm is really, my love for Q. I'm really disappointed that Cummings has got more than the Mid-South, so he couldn't be part of the Mid-South Bukaki. But beyond that, Cummings, uh, I do think that the Huskies are properly rated again. Um, I think Q and Houston are two all JBL type players in their prime. I think they're fun to watch. They play a good brand of basketball. They won a championship relatively recently. Um, I think that even Tarver, uh, Tarver has a championship pedigree and he's kind of a fun athletic player to watch. So uh, yeah, I think the Huskies are definitely a top five team and three feels about right. Okay. And now the team that is pissing you off. Yes. Number two, number two, and you're just vengeful because I pushed you down so hard for the what, same thing. What the hell is number faster two. grit and grind? I, I'm, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna no, look. No, <laughs> I'm gonna look on my system list for faster grit and grind. I, I, knew, I knew that was. I knew that was gonna trigger you, which is why I left it in. Where's uh, the 24 seconds or less option? Yeah, in no, the offense? Orig, origin, originally, Mike, it had um, it had it had brackets around it, but I removed the brackets just to troll you more. Uh, okay, number two is the Portland Lumberjacks. They are a contender. They have had a moderate degree of change because of the significant addition of Mac. Um, I have listed a system faster grit and grind. Um, this is because I have had a conversation with Tim, which I don't think is particularly telling. He intends to continue to run grit and gar- grind, but he will be looking at ways to increase the pace as well. I suspect there are some easy ways he could do that. So that is why I have written grit and grind uh, as faster, because I think that he will run a grit and grind, but there will be some elements there on top of that, which will make his team. Let's put it this way. I don't think he's going to be 29 or 30 in pace this year. He will be running a faster version of what he has run in the past, is my expectation. Okay. Uh, key rookies are Mac and Barlow. Barlow gets in by nature of the fact that he is um, a rookie who was taken in the lottery, but realistically, he will be buried, I suspect, at least this year. Um, Mac will be um, playing alongside one of the veterans in the rotation, um, and they have existing stars in both Peeler and Nick Swine. I think Sylvester is an excellent player and an all-star, but level kind of guy but i don't think he's a star as we know it um look realistically i have them up here because this is possibly the most interesting transition experiment we've seen with a team staying this high up on the ladder whilst attending a transition i find that fascinating um i like a lot of the players on this team um, I think this could finally add the element of dyna- uh, dynamism that we have endlessly criticized this team for having. Um, I'm really excited to see this team play basketball. Yeah, you're really excited to watch Keith Humphreys get 14 minutes a night as the backup point guard on this team. Am I right? Could happen. I mean, look. But I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have the blood debt, like vengeance level shit going on that you have with Hawk. So that's we're, not... We're, we're, we're really, I mean, this has to be now be called the 24 seconds or less offense from now on. 
Okay. They're not just, grit and grind anymore. They're 24 seconds or less. Okay, just, just a question though, Mike. Obviously, you are indignant about the fact that I have decked you uh, in the listing for being grit and grind and then put them this high. Where would you have put them in the rankings? Because I think, I think that my point about there, having, there being some actual genuinely interesting questions to answer with this team are legitimate. Where would you have placed them? Given I they think- are also a contender, which you are not, and they are harder to drop down as a result. I think that I had them last year around 11. I think with the addition of Mac, probably put them at about seven or eight. Okay. So you, you think they're still a top 10 team? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think they're still a top 10 team. I think based on record, I mean, they're probably at, at right now, I would think probably second or third in the West. Um, and I think Mac is a really interesting prospect to add to that team. I just kind of I found it comical that we're we're not going to run we're going to run grit and grind but we're going to run it faster and it's like look don't put those words in, don't 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 put those words in Tim's mouth I am the one who chose to express it in that fashion okay so that's on me as as you said at the start of the podcast ninety percent of the prep ninety percent of the compliments and ninety percent of the blame uh, the uh, the oil and spoil offense I think that's okay. another good name for him so the grit and grind. No, 24 seconds or less is better. Okay, like number, and then finally, the number one team, uh, my favorites for the championship, I think, this season, are the Los Angeles Fireballs. Uh, they are a contender. They've had a moderate degree of change with the, um, with the uh, removal of Brooks, the addition of Guzzo, as well as the addition of their key rookie in Samuels. They play the same run-and-gun pace space system they have always played, and they have one of the biggest stars in the game in La Cruz. Um, they have La Cruz. They play a really, star, uh, really attractive style of basketball. They came much closer than I think a lot of us thought they would in the finals against the, the Death Star. Um, I think they are probably the most cohesive... Uh, deep team in the West, uh, and I think they are in really good shape right now. Um, am I correct that Mike and Comey pegged USC to be the favorite in the CJBL as well? Yep, uh, J-Ron's got a big target on his back in every league. Wow, <laughs> no pressure, J-Ron. You got to win it all in both leagues this year. Holy shit. And, 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 and Long Beach needs to make the tournament as well again. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's got to loosen up those figures. He's going to be doing a lot of article writing this year. <laughs> uh, see, this is, what, this is what happens when you don't expectation manage. You've got, you get caught in this horrible situation where you're the favorite. Oh, God, J-Ron, we're all counting on you, man. So, uh, But uh, look, I, I, of course, agree. I, I do think the Fireballs would be number one on my list as well. Made the JBL finals. Uh, La Cruz is at the peak of his powers. Uh, arguably had a had a pretty good argument for MVP. They've got young, interesting players uh, that are kind of rounding into their peak. Bloom looks to be a potential future all-star, if not something better, under uh, that tutelage. They have an interesting rookie to, uh, to watch as far as who they got, who's probably not going to get a ton of minutes this year. So the fireballs are pretty well loaded at this point. And uh, I think based on their style, they play in L.A., Looking at all of that, I mean, they're going to they're they're the most interesting team I think going into this upcoming season. Okay, so that's the end of the league pass rankings. We are running longer than we were planning on, but bugger it, who cares? Uh, we can go over like the other podcast did today, um, and uh, we'll move to our other spreadsheet now, which is the 
2028 over under proposition bets. Um, so um, I've already listed mine. Um, so what I'll do, Mark, is I'll list, I'll read each question out. Um, I'll say where I'm sitting and then you say what you are and we'll, and we'll hammer through these reasonably quickly. Sounds like a plan. Okay. So the first team up is the Toronto Huskies and the proposition bet is that Quavius Williamson Q will average, uh, will com- average a combined 42 points, rebounds and assists. Uh, for the record, he has done this before. Uh, however, I am going under, although I think it will get close. I am going to go the over, uh, but it is close. Last year, I think, like you said, he had 41 combined. I think this year, with another year of um, their uh, their of their small forward, uh, whose name uh, Vega, uh, a little bit more cohesion. I think it makes things a little bit easier for uh, Q, and I think it opens things up for him, and he does just a little bit better than he did last year. Okay, next up is number two, the St. Louis Skyhawks. Jamal Johnson will combine for 30 points and assists per game. I'm going to go the under. I also have the under. Uh, I think this will be close. I think last year was 28 and about a half. Yeah, and I think think points will go down a little bit more as Kamga maybe gets a little bit more involved. That's possible. Uh, this one is the Andrew special. Uh, number three, the Seattle Thunder, that Jamal Walcott will finish in the top 200 in offensive rating. <laughs> uh, keep in mind that if you are taking the over, you are saying that he will be better than top 200, which is he will be under. He will be 199 or better. Uh, I am taking the over. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, it basically means he goes from his current level to like a Mika morning level. I was going to say, well, while, while you're looking up that prop, I'm just going to look at the leaders quickly and, and figure out who the 200th was last year. Yeah, I think a Mika morning was close to 200. He was the player that jumped out at me because he was also a center. Was that, um, off- was that offensive rating? That's our rating, yeah. Okay, give, uh, go, go to the next one and I'll, I'll look yeah. this up quick and I'll come back. Okay, number four is the Portland Lumberjacks. Uh, and that is that Jordan Mack will average a combined 16 points and assists per game. What did you have? I went the under mainly because I think that I think only one, t- uh, since the Lumberjacks have been good, only one point guard on that team has ever hit 20. And that was Hawk in 24. Uh, but obviously um, Mac is far more dynamic than any other point guard they've had. Um, you've got to remember that obviously the pace pushes down counting stats as well, um, even though it's 24 seconds or less now. Um, but on the flip side of that, there is the fact that um, also given that he is a genuine contender, um, you have to wonder how long the leash will be on Mac. Yeah. On this team. To, to... Um, so to, to wind down on Walcott quick. So number 200 last year in offensive rating was Iden Anderson. Number 199 was Bo Anderson. Number 198 was Mika Morning. Interestingly, number 197 was Jarvis McSwine. Oh. So that was kind of interesting. But in any event, uh, yeah. So I think that Walcott will do better than that. And Jordan Mack, I think I would have him do the under just because – 
I do think rookie point guards tend to struggle. Um, and I do think Deontay Christian, now that he's back, is going to eat into some of Max minutes, uh, maybe at least later in the season. Yeah, I'll, I'll, as I said, I, I just think it depends on how well Mac does out of the gate. If Mac starts well and his minutes escalate as the season goes on, it's it's achievable. Um, but yeah. if he gets a quick if he gets a quick hook, it's going to be under for sure. So, next up, Pittsburgh Vipers. Tristan Lane will combine for thirty nine rebounds, points, and assists this year. Last year, he was at thirty seven. Hmm. I'm going to say over. I knew you would. This was a sucker bet to lure you in. <laughs> he will not do 39, but sure. Okay. I believe. I believe in my stat whoring abilities. Okay. Anyway, number six, the Phoenix Vultures. Tyrone Winder will average 22 points per game as a rookie. Uh, for some context around this, uh, I have looked at this from 2021, the expansion year onwards. Uh, the best performance by a rookie in terms of scoring the basketball is by uh, the Messiah at 24.3. However, he was a four-year college player who was expected to be far less raw than your standard rookie. If we exclude him, next up on the list is Idris Berkeley, who did it in 2021 on an expansion Barons team, which probably means he should also be excluded. Next down is Spencer Allen, uh, who got 20 points flat on the Lightning, who were literally less talented than an expansion team at that point in time. Uh, and then finally, uh, probably the most applicable reference is uh, KB dollar sign on a bad but not horrendous Louisville team uh, got 19.5. But despite all of that, I'm still saying that Winder will easily get to 22. Over. Under. <laughs> Under. He doesn't. Is, is, I mean, Jed Weathers is not your creator type of point guard, and he's going to take yeah, some gravity away. Dude, but, but, but who else is taking shots in that team? It's like a Kile and Morning and Gatling. He's going to have volume. He those might, are people he might, who will take shots. Uh, no, I think he, he could get Vandenberg volume. He could get Dutch uh, volume. We'll see. We'll look, look. It, obviously, I, I think Sick would have to really manufacture that to happen. I'm not sure he necessarily will. I will so. see. It's too busy flying circles, you know, around dead cars. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, number seven, the Philadelphia Warriors. Uh, KB dollar sign will average 22.5 points per game. He averaged about 25 point something when he was at the at the Colonels, and then he averaged, uh, I think, 20.3 in a much lower usage role after the All-Star break at the Warriors. Basically, the reason I've chosen 22.5 is that is what Banks averaged last season whilst leading the team in scoring. I'm going to have the over. I also have the over. I think Banks will be tapped down a little bit more. Um, I think Benjamin just demands a lot of natural gravity, and I think McConnell is a really good table setter. That'll really help uh, get, get, um, get KB dollar signs some really good looks. Yep. Uh, that's pretty much my rationale too. I think this is the China transition year where banks will be slightly de-emphasized in favor of um, the future. Okay, number eight, Oklahoma City Barons. That Dutch will average 20 field goal attempts per game. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe in his rookie year, it was 18.4. It was 18.6 in year two. And I believe last year it was 23.1. 
under. I mean, there's there's no way here because they're doing grit and grind, and they have Hooker, who we saw what Hooker would do in a situation where he's going to have a lot of gravity. Uh, I've gone the over because I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure Dan's going to make the changes to get the efficiency of the lower number back. I think he might let him fly, make it fly. Oh man, a grit and grind where you have a player shooting 20 field goals per game. Where's that smiley with the gritted teeth? That's got that emoji <laughs> with the gritted teeth. That, uh, that, insert that for me for right now. Okay, so you're an under. Number nine, the Oakland Tritons. The Tritons will have 0.5 all stars. I'm under. <laughs> Can they have negative all stars? <laughs> uh, obviously, um, obviously, last year Navigado made it as a, a an amusing, <laughs> as an amusing quirk of um, Weaver's positional uh, play that year. Didn't Francis um, make it too? Francis did not make it. That was his first miss in like five years. Um, I think Francis's time as an all star is probably done. Um, so as such, I don't believe they'll have any. Now I'm sad. Uh, Number 10, the New York Renegades. Ron Shard Fox, the new arrival, will average 15 points per game. For context, last season he averaged 14.8. I'm going to go the under. I'm going to go the over because I think it is in uh, Rich's best interest to get Harold to share the ball a little bit better now that he has Fox and Wallace. Uh, and I do think that Fox is a player who is heading into his contract year and is liable to see a jump at coming out of training camp. We'll see. I mean, I think Slattery and Harold demand a lot of gravity, and I get the sense that Wallace, um, because of the open looks he's going to get, is going to take a good amount of shots. So I do think it's going to be a shot distribution issue more than anything on that Rens team. Yep. Um Number 11, the New Orleans Hurricanes. Lamont Woodson will average a double-double. I said under. Um, I, uh, I think because they have Astbury now, who's going to demand a good amount of gravity, plus Bentley. So I just don't see Woodson putting up a lot of offense. Um, and I think even rebound-wise, Astbury is going to eat into that as well. Yep, I, I'm, I'm tipping over. I think he will get there this year. I don't think it's going to be a 2010-style double-double, but I think it's, I think he'll do it. It's just there's – I mean, there's Asbury, there's Lawson who demands a lot of volume, Bentley demands volume, a lot of volume on the team. Only one ball to go around. Fair enough. Uh, but keep in mind they're moving to a grit-and-grind system that will benefit, theoretically, the opportunities for the people inside at the expense of people like Bentley jacking up 20 shots a game. But that will uh, all, but that will also just limit overall possessions as well. Yes, uh, but I think net the center will come out ahead in that system. Um, number twelve, the Nashville Stars, Bumba Diouf will average a combined twenty-three points and assists. I went the under. I went the under, but I think it'll be quite close. Uh, I think I worked it out in my head that I think he averaged like 21 last year, just over 21, I think it was. Um, So I think that there's a fair bet that his point total will maybe not be at quite as high next year because um, you've added Kittles to the mix, but I do think his assists are likely to go up. So there's a few outs on that one. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a guaranteed under, but uh, I'm leaning under. Yeah. I feel pretty good about the under on that one, to be honest with you. Fair enough. 
number 13, the Minneapolis Blizzards. The Blizzards will have 1.5 players average over 24 points per game. Uh, I went over. I went the over. I think that um, Mobley will join Donovan uh, Galloway at uh, 24 points per game this season. I think with only Grant down low at center and removal of Spencer, I, I think the, the shot distribution will probably tilt even more heavily towards the two Donovans. Mobley's got to break out at some point. The, uh, the well, I think, he arguably, I think he arguably did last year, but I think he can build a little bit further on that. Yeah, no, I agree, especially if he can get his shot working. His shot worked last year. It was just turnovers. Okay. Have a look again. The, the, the AFG was fine. I, 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 will, I will look at that. That's probably that's yeah. basically probably my own mental gymnastics on him. So I was, It was the turnovers that were the issue last year. I would have had him in the All-Star team. if He would have been on my All-Star ballot if not for the turnovers. Um, number 14, the Miami Cyclones. Uh, Josh Gamble will average 10 assists per game. Last season, he averaged 10.4, which was, I believe, tops in the league. It was, and I'm curious as your rationale because you took the under. I went the over. Why would you have him at under? Uh, he's gone over two times in his career, um, and I think that uh, the absence of Tucker for a third of the season will do just enough to pop him under. Yeah, I, I think just, just, because, just because Goodwin needs a good creator, I think it's going to leave a lot of good opportunities for Gamble, who I think is more of a creator than scorer anywhere. Anyway. I think the ga- I think the gamble in the front third of the season is going to have to be more of a scorer and less of a distributor, and I think that will ultimately shift it so that even if he gears back to where he was last year towards the back of the season, I just think he'll fall just short. Okay, I think that's a, that's a close one. I, I that that that's a good that's a good over under. Thank you. I mean, they're uh, all they're, they're all good, Andrew, but that one really stands out to me. Okay. Mexico City Jaguars, number 15. Mark Hunter will average a combined 35.6 points and rebounds. Uh, The reason I have used such a precise number is that is his career best. Over. Okay. Uh, Basically, this is the the fattening the pig up till they explode kind of bet. Um. Number sixteen, the Louisville and, Colonels. And you've just just for everyone on, on listeners, you have the over two as well, right? I do have the over, yes. Okay. Um, number sixteen, the Louisville Colonels. Latrell Mason will average twenty three points per game. Uh, basically, I worked this out before KB left. He averaged something like, I think it was like twenty one. And then it was like 23.7. It was basically 22 was the exact middle between what he scored before and after uh, the trade. Um, but I bumped it up an extra point because uh, of the endless um, PT Barnum-esque hyping of Cheetos. Um, so I, I have gone just under. I went, I went over. Um, I do think especially with a rookie small forward, I get the feeling that he may get lost in the weeds a little bit. Um, Trendon Knox also keep in mind is off the team well that may have even had a bigger impact than Keyshawn Benjamin going off the team so I think with those two things happening and getting more lower usage Eagletarian uh, small forward and shooting guard there plus a more distributing point guard I think Mason's going to be the leading scorer and I can see him maybe even pushing up 25-26 points per game 
Yeah. See, I think the, the, the reason why I think this one's interesting is because Hayward will probably be lower usage than KB. I mean, to be fair, 90% of players are. However, he will certainly be higher usage than the Witcher. So how that uh, how small forward gets split will be really interesting. Um, also, how much time Cook plays at power forward versus more kind of like defensive low usage players will have an impact on that mix. So I think there's some interesting variables that make that one an interesting one. Um, number 17, the Fireballs. The Fireballs will have 1.5 All-Stars. I have taken the under. I went the over. I mean, just me personally, I tend to reward teams that are good with multiple All-Star players. I think the Fireballs right now are the favorite to have the best record in the Western Conference. Whether that means that one of their front court players break through or Griffin has another very strong season, I think that the Fireballs are going to get two in. LaCruz is a, basically a lock as a starter. So all I really need is someone who's having an above-average year in a Western Conference that's still kind of struggling overall, roster talent-wise, and that's how you can get another player in there. Yep, but I do think you want to keep in mind there'll be one less wing position available this year because, I um, know, oh it'll be, no, no, because uh, last year wasn't Weaver a guard. He was. He was. Yeah. So I think that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. I think that everyone kind of was looking at that second fireball as their last pick last year. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's the same. Because they were number one in the conference at that point when we did the votes last year. They probably will be again this year. So I'm curious to see. And Griffin is a year older. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe it's their shooting guard. Who knows? Um, I can't see myself ever voting for a one-way player like Porter, though. We'll see. Um, number 18, the Las Vegas Scorpions. Isaiah Swain and Jeremy Jackson will combine for 33 points per game. I took the under, and you did as well. I did, although I think it's probably I think I'm probably leaning that it's closer than you did. Uh, I think you think it'll be easily under, right? I'm still, I, I mean, the same issues that we were just talking about, Ronshawn Fox and the point guard situation, kind of play for these two frontcourt players as well. Unless you see Michelle St. June taking a big leap forward, um, it's not like Jackson and Swain can self create. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still think that's only like, you know, 14 field goals a game plus some free throws. I don't think that's a huge ask. But at the same time, but, but at the same time, like rookie centers don't usually score the ball well. I think probably the best one that I can think of recently is like uh, Mason at 15 and a half points. So, you know, interesting. Fair enough. Okay. <clears throat> Next one. Number 19, Kansas City. Sasha Fontana will average a combined 18 points and assists per game. Under. I am also taking the under. I mean, I had that dude on my team, and he was supposed to be the offensive focus and was for quite some period of time. Didn't stop him from averaging, what, like nine points a game? So yeah. I'm, I am skeptical that he can be a very strong scorer. And I think his assists will be good, but I think that he will do less than a combined 18 per game. Okie dokie. So number 20, the Houston Lightning. Uh, Kyle, uh, over under number two in the panic index rank. Oh, that over. <laughs> over, over, and lock it. 
Well, I had to get you to only vote on that one because I feel like we're, I could probably rig it. We're um, gonna have to retire it. We're gonna have to call it the the Kyle slash Houston Lightning spot in the panic. Sponsored index. by the Houston Lightning. Sponsored by the Houston Lightning. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the real the real uh, prop bet for this team is Odell Bracey will average eighteen points and six assists. Not combined. He will need to make both of those hurdles. Well, what's your frame of reference for that over under? Or did you... I believe it's pretty close to his career numbers. I went, you went the over, I went the under. So we're going head to head on that one. Yep. Okay. Detroit Mustangs, number 21. The Messiah will average 30 points per game. Uh, I went the under and you went the under as well. Regression, regression and efficiency. Was that your argument? Yeah, regression. And plus, I just think that. Um, Honey, Honey, and uh, Walton will take more touches. Hicks might take more touches. So, um, so for me, it was regression. Um, basically, I think his effective field goal rate last year was something like five eighty um, on really high volume, and his previous numbers were more like five thirty, five forty. Um, if he dropped back down and regressed to his mean, uh, he would fall back under thirty points, and that was the argument. I didn't see him getting more volume, and I saw his efficiency falling. Fair enough. Uh, the Denver Dragons, Malik Farmer will average a combined 28 points and rebounds. So you took the over. I took the under. Not that I think Farmer is will have a strong regression. I do think as bad as Brandon Terry was, I think he was a pretty good table setter. And I do think switching up the point guards is at least going to have an initial impact on farmer statistics. So that's why I took the under, but it is close. Um, farmer's numbers, so you're going under. Farmer's numbers didn't fundamentally change in terms of scoring uh, between Adams and Terry. Um, and you could have an argument that Terry, um, that Adams will be better, um, better uh, adjusted to the team after a training camp and offseason. Uh, yeah. Number three. Dallas Predators, uh, that Nicholas Acosta will average 28 combined points, rebounds, and assists. I believe last year he was at 25 point something. Yep, you took the over, and I will take the over as well. Okay. Uh, number that, one, that one's sorry? easy. Just, that one's easy. That's just subtraction of Hunter. Opens everything That's up for everyone. But no, see, I, I think it's, it's, it's subtraction of Hunter and an assumption of a, of a jump as well. It, it requires both. Yeah, true. true. Um, number 24, Cincinnati Kings. Uh, Detroit's Owens will average a combined 35 points, rebounds, and assists, which is basically like his best ever career. It's basically his career year. Well, Round now that uh, we, we both went the over, and now that Cincinnati has the ring, I think they may want to I guess stat whore for a little bit. I, I don't think Owens missing the all-star game is going to be palatable anymore. So I think you're going to see a, <laughs> a little bit more of the ball being, uh, being given to Owens to kind of jack up those numbers a little bit. Owens and poke, especially because um, the not a lot invested in the wings this off season. So. Okay. So we're both over on that one. Number 25. Is that, the is that kind of your thought as well? Uh, look, I think he's going to play more minutes because he won't be able to be... It will be much harder for uh, Owens and Polk to be spelled as much as they were uh, this coming season if the team still wants to make a genuine push for the first seed. Yep. 
Um, and with those bigger minutes, uh, particularly when he's not playing any minutes at all with Craig, who did still have a high usage rate, I think will make a difference. Uh, so number 25 is the Chicago Jailbirds. Uh, this is basically going to be the definition. Uh, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting a different result. That's right. I'm going to get a, I'm going to bet against Cheney again. Jason Cheney will average 26 points per game. I'm going under. I'm taking, I'm taking the over. I'm not playing that game again. No, fuck it. One of these years is going to be right. God damn it. One of these years. Four point, four point of reference. Last year, I believe this. Last year, I believe this was the exact same bet, but the uh, the number was twenty five point like five. That's what his career average was last season. Now it's at twenty six. So that's just a sign of how wrong I was last year. I think yeah, he ended up at twenty nine point four. The Cheney Dice Corner is is yours alone this year. No, um, um, it's going to happen one year, mate. I'm staying on the corner until it hits. <laughs> right. I don't care if I bet one of seventeen on it, but I'm still going to get there one day. Uh, okay, number 26, the Charlotte Drones. Uh, RW2 and Daniel Pedroso will combine for 40 points per game. I didn't look at this close enough, but that just felt a little too high for me on the smell test. So I went under and you went under as well. Yeah, it works out to be about 36 based on what they averaged last year. Um, so basically, uh, what would change it? Um, <laughs> And the reason, the argument for going forward, I think, would be that you think that more volume will go to RW2 with Foreman playing in place of Anthony, because Anthony did take, have, have, the Dodo did have a fairly high shot count, like 15 or something, versus yeah. Foreman's, who's probably closer to 10. So there's probably five shots up for grabs. Um, RW2 has broken 25 points per game before. So that part is you know, plausible, with, especially with a little bit more volume. Um, and Pedroso, if he played it the way he played in the front half of the season, probably would get you there. Yeah. Fair so there, there is, there is, I think there is a very clear pathway. A pathway. There's a very clear pathway to get to 40 there, um, but it just requires on a couple of things happening. Okay. So number 27, the Boston Crusaders, over, under, all stars, 0.5. <laughs> nope. Under. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not the real bet because I just, I, but I just really couldn't resist the urge to bring up the fact that West didn't wasn't an all star last year again, uh, because it's endlessly entertaining to me. Um, but uh, to be honest, the real one isn't isn't that much less trolling. You're, you, you're missing you the best one. You're, you're missing the best one though. Over under of three months before Calvin gets his draft grades article out. Well, how about how about over under uh, six months on um, when I'm going to see the results of last year's prop bets? Oh, <laughs> uh, we love you, Calvin. Now, no, to be fair, Calvin did that for me as a favor when I asked him to when I was busy with other things. He can take all the time in the world he wants, um, but I will not be obviously giving a jersey to the winner of that competition until I actually see the results. Um, <laughs> So uh, that that can take. Since I have no job, I'm happy to defer payment of my uh, my payment of the price as late as possible. Um, but back to serious business. I'm not rushing you on that, Calvin. Jokes aside, um, the Crusaders will win 44 games. I am taking the under. I that am would also represent taking the under. That, that would represent a 10 jump, uh, 10 win increase on last year. Yeah, it's it's not it's not important. It's, it's also probably the Mendoza line for making the playoffs. It is probably the lowest number you could make the playoffs in the East with. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen the King of Matic, but in my mind, I feel like the Crusaders are about 40, 41 wins. Yeah, I think they're real close to five hundred. Is kind of my vibe. Yeah. Okay, 
Next up, number 28, the Baltimore Bullets. Marcus Price and Diop will combine for 43 points per game. I went the over and you went the over. It was about 40 and a half last year. Uh, yeah. for, me, for me, this is a bet on Diop sufficiency jumping this year in a contract year. Yep, contract year, and you'd hope that your point guard situation is a little bit more settled, which would help. Yeah. Better point guard play, a year further of develop into deal, a little bit more cohesion. Uh, that's the argument. Um, Austin Rockets, uh, number 29. Zion Jeffries will average 18 points per game and 10 rebounds. Yeah. Take, take a second and kind of fix your microphone. You're crackling a little bit. Can you hear me? Um, but uh, you have the under and I have the under. And I think that goes to what we talked about a little bit with uh, Zion Jeffries a little bit earlier in the podcast um, with Zion. There's, there's a question whether he's being used right on Austin as he's kind of just being a third or fourth wheel, kind of off in the corner, take shots when you can, not really be given, given um, sufficient touches in the right situation. And um, that's kind of where he struggles a little bit. Plus, his rebounding has kind of struggled a little bit, too, based on earlier appearances. Andrew, are you back now? Yeah, I'm back. Okay. Yeah, your microphone sounds better now. Any cool. thoughts I'm on going, that under? I'm, over? I'm, going, I'm going the under, but it's also what prompted me to have the discussion before about him. I think it's a lot of money to pay for a player who I don't think will make those kind of numbers. Yeah. Especially, yeah. When, you're, especially when you're struggling for depth. Or even starter quality, or even guaranteed starter quality players at other positions. Yep. Nothing further to that. And we got one more over under. Okay, number thirty, the Atlanta Devils. Drake Valentine will average twenty points per game. He averaged sixteen point five last year. You went the over, and I went the over, and I think that's relatively easy in my mind. Yeah, I, I almost pushed it to twenty-two. I came real close. I think I think Drake is going to quickly elevate himself to be one of, if not the top prospect from last year's draft class after this season. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Drake is averaging 25 points per game by the time he ends his rookie contract. Yep. Yep. On that trajectory. Okay. So next up, these are the questions. Next up is basically the key questions from DG's survey. Uh, I have spoken to DG. Uh, DG will have the survey up in the next couple of days, so feel free to consider this an amplification of the do your fucking survey as quickly as possible message when it comes out. I would suspect it will probably come out relatively close to when this podcast makes it online, assuming Kamish doesn't put this one up immediately. Um, so, Question number one on the survey is, if you were starting a JBL franchise today and could sign any player, who would it be? Um, last year it was Quavius Williamson for me, and this year it is Quavius Williamson for me. Yep, uh, we're, we're on the same page again. Okay, uh, which rookie will be the best player in five years? I believe it will be Tyrone Winder. However, I did want to give an honorable mention shout out to Kyron Kittles. Uh, I think he will be – I'm not sure he'll be the best player, but I think he will always have a value beyond his actual play because of the type of player he is. Yep. And you have Winder too, right? I do have Winder. I think that's a no-brainer. Okay. Uh, question number three. Which player is the most likely to have a breakout season in 2027? Those are 2028. I didn't change the number. <laughs> Bad prep. 
Well, for 2027, we can go back in time. We could really get uh, very accurate on these responses we're talking about last year. Okay. What's your guess for this year? My guess for this year is Colton Gregory. He'd want to after he got paid. <laughs> yeah, he's better. If my man stays healthy, I, I think he'll have a very strong year. And he plays the right position at the five. Yeah, possibly. Uh, for me, it's Acosta. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think Acosta will be freed from the shackles of Skekmal this year and we'll, uh, we'll jump up a bit. Yep. Okay, who is the best point guard in the JBL? LaCruz. Yeah, I, last year I went for Gamble, uh, but LaCruz's uh, playoff run has convinced me of the error of my ways. Uh, who is the best shooting guard in the JBL? So we differed here. I went Pfeiffer. I went back and forth a few times on it. Uh, ultimately, it was Andrew's favorite stat, win shares per 48, that convinced me that I wanted to go for Houston. Yeah, you can't go wrong with either. Uh, who is the best small forward? I think this is a no-brainer. Weaver. Yep, uh, we are in agreement. Stupid thing, let me copy it. Okay, best power forward, I have Messiah. Messiah, the murderer. <laughs> I love how we keep amplifying that occasionally, and Kavish always jumps in real fast to deny it. He's not um, really a murderer. He's just you Ray just Lewis. Witnessed it. He's just our he's just our direct comparison to Ray Lewis. The knife um, fell into the hands. Okay. I didn't <laughs> make the storyline. Who is the best center in the JBL? I think we agree it is Q. Q. Best defensive player in the league? I went uh, Walcott. I thought you might. And you correctly predicted he'd be rookie. Didn't you correctly predict he would be DPOI last year? I did. Look at those points. It was like pretty much wire to wire, except for that weird early part of the year where Trayvon Miller was somehow at the top. But after things kind of settled in, Walcott uh, was pretty much the wire to wire guy. Uh, I think it's McSwine, but then again, that is not necessarily a tip that McSwine will win it. Uh, but I think McSwine, pound for pound, ability to play both is probably the best. Uh, best perimeter defender in the JBL. Um, I have Reggie Goodwin. I think that this is the year where Griffin starts to decline a little bit at the defensive end. Uh, I'm going to say Tristan Lane. Okay, fucking Homer. Um, who is the best interior defender in the JBL? I still lean Clarkson. Uh, Walcott. Yeah, I know. I figured that was you had to double down on that one. Uh, who will lead the JBL in scoring this season? I went Pfeiffer. I've gone the J train. Yeah, definitely go for one of the usual candidates. <laughs> I, I also think this is the year where I think you might start to see um, a with Curry with Curry being there. So not Curry, um, with Nash being there, um, does Fife need to play as many minutes? Is one. Uh, number two is Butler could start to take a little bit more usage. Um, so those are the two things against Fife. Um, and I think J Train with the with better part with the with the better point guard in Barber for the whole season. Um, and a little bit of an increased efficiency based on the fact that it's a year year two in that system. Uh, it would not take very much at all for Hughes on his volume to jump up comfortably into a leading position. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I don't disagree with it that much. Okay, question 13. Who will lead the JBL in rebounding this season? I went Walcott. 
uh, I went with my uh, feed the piggy uh, option, which is Mark Hunter. Yeah, I mean, I could see also Mexico City fattening him up and trading him or trying to trade him at some point too, which would cause his rebounds to decline. I think Walcott's a little bit more certain for me. Yeah, that's fair. I think that my, I'm, I'm, if I'm betting on Hunter, you're assuming he stays put all season, plays big minutes for fattening all year. Um, I also think that Lazovic getting big minutes yeah, as a developing four next to him uh, will help. Um, question 14, who will lead the JBL in assists this season? I think it will be Jaleel, Jalene Rifkind. I did stick with Gamble, who led it last year, um, and we talked about it a little bit in the over-under. I mean, I have, Ga- I have the uh, over on our over-under, and I think Gamble will probably average at around 10 assists per game again this year. Yep, I think it'll be neck and neck between those two again is my bet. Uh, okay, uh, and, now, and now the big ones. Uh, question number one, which player will win MVP? You went Quavius Williamson. I am going Josiah Robinson. Was he your pick last year? He was, and I'm sticking with it. Okay. Who will win Rookie of the Year? Do we even need to ask? Winder. Uh, defensive Player of the Year. You're going walk. Are you going walk out again? I'm going walk out again. Okay. I'm taking McSwine. Who will win Most Improved Player? Uh, I'm backing my breakout pick, which it will be Acosta. And I'm backing my breakout pick in Gregory. And who will win Sixth Man of the Year? I'm going to go with uh, Lucas Rush for the Warriors. Uh, I think that's a bad pick because I don't think he'll get enough minutes. Uh, I am going... Sixth man of the year. You know, I mean... This is is my homer pick. Uh, I'm going with James Mosley, which predicts that he will get the backup minutes on my team at both power forward and center. uh, And will... uh, So he's looking at, you know, high 20s minutes at least. Uh, and we'll hopefully have a good training camp. Otherwise, I will cry. <laughs> well, don't cry. Just, you know, yeah. fix, fix, fix your, uh, your settings. Okay, and uh, we're basically done, and that is pretty much dead on two and a half hours, which given that these were two separate episodes last year, without the, uh, without the free agency crap, I reckon we've jammed a fair whack of content in here. Yeah, yeah, and I think we did a good job of not bleeding into the actual preview pod that we're going to have, and like you said, pretty much 36 hours from now. Yeah, so, I think we've um, of, we haven't tipped too many of our hands uh, for where we're leaning on that. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, we've, we've hinted at things, that's just natural, but I mean, our overall conclusions, I think we've done a pretty good job keeping close to the vest. So the question is, um, how many of your 30 uh, Stephen R. Kings have you come up with so far? Two? <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of fucking work to do. I got a lot of work to do. So, um, yeah. So, I'll, but but I will get working on it. Look, some of the ones I came, some of my better ones I came up with, I came up with on the fly while we were recording. So you know, sometimes, uh, it, sometimes procrastination comes up with some of the best ideas. So perhaps it does. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, in that case, uh, we will be recording again in about. 18 hours, I think it actually is. Uh, so uh, until then, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully this didn't go too long. And, uh, and I hope uh, once I will try and get the, um, the prop bets up as a survey as well sometime in the next week as well before the season starts so people can participate in that as well again this year. 
Uh, I may or may not offer a prize again this year. We will see if I ever find gainful employment before I get into that. Um, so thanks for listening and good night. Good night, everyone. Talk to you all soon.